Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with. Well, the dominoes are continuing to fall. Nick Saban, obviously, leaving Alabama. Dan Lanning. Was he ever really in the Alabama thing, or did he just play a brilliant game of poker? Kalen DeBoer will be the next man in with the Crimson Tide. Will he win there? And what does that do to Washington? And oh, by the way, did Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State coach, who bolted to Michigan State, did he grab the first port in a storm and make a mistake? So much to unpack today. We'll talk about loyalty among coaches, and I want to start by asking you, will Kalen DeBoer win? And is there loyalty? Is there true loyalty? Dan Landing on yesterday's show, I told him I believed him. When he said he was staying in Oregon, but by the way, part of that is the glue involved happens to be Division Street and the collective there. It's got a pretty good gig. You know, it's like asking, you know, you're Bill Belichick over the years. You interested in leaving the Patriots? No, I'm loyal. You're also in a great situation. 503-417-7575. A lot to unpack. Deion Sanders didn't get a lot of run for the Alabama job. I uh, am kind of left thinking about that because I think had the job opened up in week four, week five of the season, maybe Alabama would have looked a little harder. I also think Florida State is probably the job he wants. And if Mike Norvell had got the Alabama job, I think Coach Prime would have probably ended up in Tallahassee. And again, we're talking about the dominoes that fall. Nick Saban out at Alabama. What happens in the next 12 hours? It's Dan Lanning time. Lanning on that uh, Wednesday, as we remember earlier this week, watching a movie with his kid, uh, highly uh, highly uh, distracted by his phone blowing up and Twitter and social media uh, all going hysterical. And uh, then, you know, 9 a.m. on Thursday. I mean, just think about what happened in the Dan Lanning situation. Here comes 9 a.m. on Thursday. And... At 9 a.m., because Lanning tells me on, on Thursday morning, hey, I'll have something at 9 a.m. This is about 7.30 in the morning. So I'm like, interesting, 9 a.m. announcement. Didn't sound to me like he was leaving. Uh, but 9 a.m., he's going to make some kind of announcement. And so the announcement comes in the form of that video. And then he immediately jumps on the Pat McAfee show and does the Pat McAfee show. And he comes on my show later. He comes on this show later in the day. I think he came on at like 4.20 yesterday. And it was a really good interview. But... I went back and I watched the video of the Pat McAfee interview and the University of Oregon marketing, football marketing department or whatever their marketing arm had cameras set up for the McAfee interview. Like they knew and had scheduled that interview earlier, like hours earlier the day before, you know, and, you know, probably just said, hey, from a marketing standpoint, it's a great opportunity to showcase University of Oregon football program, Dan Lenny's commitment to Oregon. Hey, Dan, you sit tight and watch a movie. Uh, we will let this simmer and let a little bit of hysteria bubble up and let people on Twitter lose their bleeping minds. 
And Duck fans who had been burned by Chip Kelly to the NFL, Willie Taggart to Florida State, Mario Cristobal to Miami, suddenly were kind of uh, wringing their hands and going, oh, no, what's going to happen? I know I had a lot of people. Some people were sending me like that Matt Carney song, I'm Coming Home, saying, can you get this to Dan Lanning? Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to send him that song. Um, but I end up, uh, I end up, you know, having landing on the show. And then I look back at it now that Kalen DeBoer has been named coach at Alabama. That's a hell of a poker game that Dan Lanning played. I mean, you got to kind of, you got to kind of give it a little bit of, a little bit of applause because Oregon got a marketing bump out of it. Lanning got, you know, loved up by the fan base and, uh, Oregon got, uh, made a little recruiting pitch out of it. Said, hey, if your coach is thinking about leaving, I'm not. And then the subsequent 12 to 16 hours belonged to Kalen DeBoer. As, you know, he was supposed to do an interview this morning on KJR in Seattle. And uh, he formed, informed the station management there last night that he would not be making, late last night, he would not be making that interview appearance and so at 8 a.m., uh, you know, there was no Kalen DeBoer on the flagship radio station. And, of course, people in Seattle were going, what does that mean? Is that bad? Is that good? And now it appears that Jimmy Sexton, the agent for about 11 or 12 of the SEC coaches, I haven't taken recent count with the uh, moving around that happens, uh, Jimmy Sexton may have been in touch with Alabama all along, as maybe as soon as the middle of the season, when Nick Saban knew, presumably, that he this might be it for him. And so there's a lot to unpack here, and there's some loyalty at play as well. Because I happened to be listening to KJR when the news broke. And, you know, and it was interesting to kind of hear the reaction in Seattle and it wasn't all that different than the reaction in Corvallis, the reaction in Eugene when Mario Cristobal or Willie Taggart left, and Corvallis when Jonathan Smith left. It was a lot of people talking about loyalty. And I agree, there's a loyalty question in the middle of every coaching departure. Coach leaves for greener pastures. you got to ask yourself, you know, is, are, is it disloyal? Is, does everybody, is, is the only thing that matters money? Um, does does the opportunity that coaches have been given over the year does that count for anything? Uh, at a uh, at a friend yesterday, as Dan Landing was declaring, "I'm not leaving," say, "Well, that means he's leaving." I mean, literally, that's how we think about coaches when they say stuff like that. But uh, you know, we're also watching a business that left a 72 year old Pete Carroll, who was loyal to his organization at a news conference crying this week because he got unceremoniously dumped. 503-417-7575. We're going to be all around this. What is Washington going to do next? We will uh, discuss it, but I want your take. I want you to tell me, does loyalty exist? Is DeBoer going to win at Alabama? Or is he taking on a job where it's going to be an impossible task? Like I, I equated it to like Frank Sinatra Jr., Good luck. You're you're going in there after Nick Saban, and you're going in there in an era of NIL and transfer portal that has largely marginalized the advantages that Alabama enjoyed over the years. Uh, you know, Taylor Swift just did a song at karaoke. Now it's your turn. Like that's that's what Kalen DeBoer is walking into in Tuscaloosa. Does he win there? He's won everywhere he's been. 
503-417-7575. Let's go out to the phone lines. Michael is in Eugene listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Michael, welcome. John, great stuff. I know you've had a busy break. couple things. I am a hardcore duck, and I've told uh, my flock we shouldn't gloat because it could have easily been us losing a coach. We've been there. I actually feel bad for Washington when we lost the 2015 title game. It took me six months to recover, and they were beaten actually by the exact same margin that we lost to Ohio State and in a similar fashion as you touched on earlier in the week. But they are going to take a step back, absolutely. And we are very fortunate to have Dan Lanning. He's the perfect mind as far as recruiting and portal. And I would argue that Oregon is a better job or as good as Alabama right now because of the following. The Big Ten, probably an easier path to the playoff, especially with Harbaugh probably leaving and Ryan Day waning, not waxing at Ohio State. The Ducks can win that title next year. But also the Division Street Collective, there were whispers that the Alabama Collective is not as organized as people would hope. And that's what's brilliant and fortunate for the Ducks about Division Street. Half a million bucks gets you nothing. No voting. That is run by former Nike brass, and it's run very well. So we are very fortunate. I was so thankful the Huskies lost. I could not have dealt with that. And I think you're going to see Oregon's recruiting ascend to even loftier heights. As Dan touched on your show yesterday, people were negative recruiting us, talking about him leaving. What are they going to say now? I would expect the Ducks to have a top two or three class nationally almost every year. It's interesting because, you know, people who follow the SEC closely understand that Alabama football under Nick Saban found an angle, found an edge, and worked that edge to the tune of six national championships. A marvelous run by Nick Saban. But this era now of the transfer portal and NIL, Saban had to be thinking to himself, and we heard him talking in the last couple of years about, you know, hey, you know, people are buying players, and it's le- the playing field is shaky, and the sands are shifting, and he didn't like this. And I kind of wonder if he looked around and went, you know what, there are some uh, programs that are going to rise right now. Our time is done. And I wonder if that was part of it, or maybe it's just his age. And and I also wonder if Kalen DeBoer at the University of Washington looked around and went, hey, I just went to the national championship game with Michael Penix Jr. I don't have Penix Jr. anymore after this year. I got boat raced and run over, uh, got outrushed by 200-plus yards by Michigan. and That is a big football team. I'm about to go into that conference and have to play against that team in that conference I would rather, if I'm going to play big boy football, I would rather be the head coach at Alabama where I can recruit some of those guys. I just wonder if Kalen DeBoer made that realization. And I wonder how it's going to work out. You know, you are following the guy at Alabama. Roy in Portland, big Georgia fan. Roy, welcome to the show. Well, like all my friends and everybody been calling me, this is a great day for Georgia. Great day for Georgia. (laughs) Kalen's going to get eaten alive. 
Kirby is going to eat him for lunch and on the recruiting trail. And and Lane Lane Kiffin, they're going to eat that man for lunch, man. I'm telling you, you you. This is see what people don't understand about the SEC. Tell us and and about schools down there in the South. There's two fan bases that are absolutely insane. That's Auburn and Alabama. And I'm telling you right now, I'll give Kalen three to four years before he's fired. Because, first of all, they don't like the fact, and I'm telling you how they operate down there, they don't like the fact that he's not from the South, and they don't like the fact he never coached in the SEC before. Now, you got Greg Byrne, the AD. He's not a – Greg Byrne is not an SEC guy. He's not from the South. He's, what, he's from Idaho, uh, Oregon. He doesn't yeah. know. He, his, I mean, yeah, his dad was the AD at Oregon years ago, and he worked at Oregon State as well. Those boosters down there, John, are insane. Nine and ten wins and going to the Sugar Bowl is not going to cut it. You, if you're not in the SEC championship game or, or, or the, the national uh, championship at least every one or two years, they're going to run you out of town. This Wait, reminds me of the Brian. This reminds me of the Brian Harson to Auburn. Yeah. I, he, I knew Brian Harson never was going. He never was going to fit in down there. Those boosters was not going to accept some guy from Boise, Idaho. That's how they are down there. Let me ask you, Roy, let me ask you something. It, did Saban see that his his angle, his edge, his advantage, did he did he look up and go, I'm not going to have the, one of the better teams? Did he look up and say that, or is he just old and, you know, the energy's not there? What do you make of that? I think he was just, I think it was just his time. And I'm going to tell you, we lost a couple, we lost guys to Alabama because we have the number one recruiting class again. You know what, they, you know what, you know what, Alabama's the guys that we lost pitch uh, said while we why they didn't go to Georgia because they couldn't turn down the opportunity to play for the great Nick Saban. Nick Saban walking into your living room and Kellen DeBoer walking into your living room. We I cannot tell you how we getting ready to get all the all the recruits. I don't see that man lasting more than three. You don't leave Washington and go to Alabama, especially following behind Nick. Saban. I never would have taken that job. I'm surprised he said. And Dan Lanning is smart. Dan Lanning's coach down there. He knew that I'm not going to touch that job with a 10-foot pole. Why would I leave Oregon to go down there? And if I don't win, go to the national championship every other year, they're going to get me out. Uh, they, they're they're going to run me out of town. I think it was a bad move for Kalen. I don't think he's going to be there in four years. I really, I really don't. If, unless he wins the national championship. And I don't see that happening. So... So you're you know, celebrating as a Georgia as a Georgia fan. This is a nice day because now you don't have to worry about Alabama. As we don't. Have, I cannot tell you, John. The the thing that was selling point for Alabama is they had Nick was that man Nick Saban. That's how you lose. Players could not turn down the opportunity to play for Nick Saban. And if you think you're going to recreate that with Kalen DeBoer, I would have I would have been afraid of Dabo Sweeney getting a job. Or Lane, Kiff, I definitely would have been afraid of Lane Kiffin getting a job. You could say anybody can say whatever he wants about Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin knows the South. He's down there in the SEC. He knows how to recruit. I don't think Kellen DeBoer is a good recruiter, John. He's not better than Dan Lanning in recruiting. That's definitely for sure. You look at the Washington team. They got the 36 ranked recruiting class off of everything they've been. Dan Lanning is killing it. I, you know, I mean, he, I don't think that I don't think DeBoer is a very good recruiter, in my opinion. And I just think that was a bad move for him, and it's a bad move for Alabama. Mark my words, Oregon will win a national championship before Alabama wins. I don't disagree with that. I think I think Lanning kind of said that on yesterday's show. 
asked him to compare those two jobs and contrast the difference between being at somewhere like Alabama, the pressure and, uh, you know, rec- you know, recruiting bigger, better players and, and, uh, and, and all of that. Here's Dan Lanning talking about the pressure being the successor to Nick Saban at Alabama. Well, there's pressure in general for sure. And, and anybody that expects the next person to step in there and be Nick Saban, that's unfair expectations um, as well. But, uh, you know, Nick has built an unbelievable program. Um, it has a, a, a great foundation. So whoever gets that job is going to be really fortunate to have um, one of the best setups in college football, and they should attract you know one of the best coaches in, in college ball. There's a lot of guys that can go there and have success. There's I don't know if there's a guy out there that can go there and do what Nick did. You know that what Nick did was is different. And uh, I promise you, right now, there's a lot of coaches watching that saying, okay, there's certain people they want to get that job and certain people they don't want to get that job because yeah. he's built it into something really special, and um, they'll be able to get a guy that's really good. There's no doubt. Kalen DeBoer out at Washington. Does Dan is that solve a problem for Dan Lanning? I kind of thought about that. You know, you look back and zero and three against Kalen DeBoer. Dan Lanning doesn't have to worry about him anymore. Chad's in Portland. Chad, go ahead. Welcome. Hey, John. Love your show. Listen every chance I get, bud. But my word for your question about loyalty in coaches is refreshing. After Taggart and Cristobal, I kind of I know this is an imperfect metaphor, but I feel like we're the the bride that's always the bridesmaid or whatever, and finally we're the bride. Now, I wish our groom wouldn't, you know, get a delay of game coming out at halftime, but he's young, he's a great recruiter, and I, I have confidence with him. Now, going the other way with uh, loyalty, all I got to say is fire Johnson, man. That's ridiculous, and I'll take it offline, man. Yeah, appreciate that. You know, I, I think we have all kind of given up on the idea that coaches would ever really be loyal. I know Washington fans are feeling like they got kicked in the teeth. I'm kind of wondering if Jonathan Smith is kicking himself, going, hey, if I just stayed a little longer at Oregon State, not jumped to the first opportunity in the Big Ten, waited a little bit, does he end up at Washington? And when Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan, I mean, Kalen DeBoer could have gone to Michigan. Like, Washington felt like it it had, like, about a 30% chance to open. And it is open now, and we'll see what the Huskies do. Will it be somebody like Cliff Kingsbury? Will it be uh, a Ryan Grubb promotion? Will it be Jed Fish at Arizona? I'd, I'd be interested to see what he could do at a program like that. Joel is in Newburgh. Joel, welcome from wine country. Hey, John. Thank you. Yeah, the Red Hills are a-flowing today, maybe with a little bit of white on top of them, too. Um, yeah, I called uh, actually just the day before you know Dan put that video out. and I mean, as a Duck fan, I'm I'm honestly kind of in shock. Like, I mean, let's just listen to this sentence. Alabama's potentially top head coach candidate is Oregon's head coach, and Oregon turns it down. You know, like, what world are we living in? And, I mean, I'm, I'm stoked. I, I think, like, the, like you just said in the previous caller, like, I mean, it's incredibly rare and unique for a coach to, to choose a school over another school. I mean, Oregon, I mean, as an Oregon fan, like, now we might get the opportunity to have the luxury of, you know, what Clemson had with Dabo or what, you know, Georgia has with Kirby, like a an elite guy recruiter who's sticking around. Um, so, yeah, I mean, kind of surreal. And then, yeah. yeah, just like was said earlier, like, it's such a nice edge. I mean, I'm not telling any UW fans I know, oh, you're a stepping stone school. Like, it's, 
it's the way of the world. It's 99% of these coaching transactions and just super stoked to be on, on the 1% side. And also, um, yeah, I mean, DeBoer will be really interesting. He's a brilliant X's and O's guy, but maybe an iffy recruiter. And, and, you know, Nick was an ace, you know, operations guy, ace recruiter, ace in game. And so even if he's 70% as good as Nick, you know, it'll, Unfortunately, he might get the can, but I mean, I'm. I think he could do do well wherever he goes. So, thanks for taking my call, John. Appreciate that. Look, I think it's really interesting. Joel said something interesting that jumped out to me. He said that you know Oregon's coach turned down Alabama. Stephen, do we know that Dan Lanning was even a candidate at Alabama, or did he just play a hell of a poker game? We don't know. We don't know the truth. I think that's a good point there, John, because uh, his buyout was really big. Uh, when you look into it, $20, $20 million, $20 million yeah. to buy out Dan Lanning, it, was Alabama really willing to pay that? I don't know. I I would guess, you know, from everything I've heard, everything I read, it seems like you know they talked, but uh, I don't know that he was necessarily a serious candidate uh, as we're making it out to be, but you're right, Dan Lanning played this perfectly, and he comes off looking like a true legend in Oregon Ducks fans' eyes, and I think that's what he wanted, and I think it's a good play by him because he looks like he has uh, he's won the hearts over of all these fans for the Oregon Ducks. Yeah, it looked, I mean, look, and I don't blame, like, it feels to me like it, it was something that happened above Dan Landing's head on this one. It feels more marketing-driven, Nike, Oregon, football marketing, because of the way it went down. He goes quiet on Wednesday when everybody's freaking out. I think the marketing folks at Oregon or Nike said, hey, great opportunity. Let's get you on the Pat McAfee show. You can announce you're staying at Oregon. You could use this as a recruiting tool. Uh, you were just on ESPN the other night, and you get an opportunity now to come back on and and uh, sit and talk with McAfee about how great Oregon is, and it unfolds beautifully for Dan Lanning, and everybody's happy, and Duck fans are like, oh, he picked us. And and the truth is, he's just got to, you know, the Division Street Collective at Oregon, and the landscape that has shifted in football, where the transfer portal and NIL now are, you know, it didn't used to be that players would fly over schools to go to other schools, but if you pay them, they will gladly fly over a whole bunch of other schools and come to you. Chip Kelly told me this week, I said, sell weather at UCLA, get some of those guys. And he said, NIL trumps weather. Speaking of the weather, it's awfully cold out there. We're going to pivot a little bit. We'll take more phone calls on the coaching front. But there is a high school football program in Sheridan, Oregon. Do you know Sheridan? I've been to Sheridan. High school football program that's struggling and needs your help. We're going to talk to a player on that team, a coach on that team. And we're going to see if we can do something about it. That plus we'll talk about what's next at Washington. And how well positioned is Jonathan Smith? Did he make a mistake $7 million buyout now at Michigan State. It's not like the Huskies are going to hire him from Michigan State and pay the 7 mil. you got to leave it here. All right, look, I played high school football. I played high school baseball. I played a little high school basketball. I'm not going to lie. I uh, I only played two, one and a half seasons of high school basketball. I had kind of an unfortunate incident where I got ejected from a game, Stephen. I had uh, my sophomore year. I had just come from playing football. And uh, I was dribbling the ball down the court and passed the ball to another teammate, and the ball got intercepted. And 
I don't know why it was instinct. The other player was going in for a layup, and I kind of creamed him. And it caused a problem, and I, I told the kid after I tackled him, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I just came from football. And uh, mentality. And uh, I ended up telling the coach, I said, I don't think I'm made for basketball <laughs> because <laughs> I I was a football player and a baseball player, and I was just playing basketball to play. But, um, look, I, I participated in a lot of things, and, and I know a lot of you out there played high school sports or instruments, musical instruments. We've talked about this, you know, when the BFT Foundation comes up, the Bald Face Truth Foundation uh, was founded in 2009. It helps kids in art, music, education, and athletics. It's been a really cool thing. Really cool thing. And I I heard a story a few weeks ago where um, Sheridan High School's got a football program, and a coach named Drew Carter is taking over the program and, of course, when you start a pro football program, a high school football program, and you come in as a new coach, you kind of look around, and you look around at the resources, and you go, hey, you know, we don't have uniforms. We don't have basic equipment. And you have kids that are trying to play at Sheridan High School um, who would love to be part of something at their high school who don't really have the resources and the equipment. And so... I reached out to Drew Carter, the head coach at Sheridan, and I said, look, let's do something cool. Let's bring one of your players on the show. Let our audience hear you know, your player talk a little bit about what it means to play football at Sheridan High School and why this is important. And if people want to go to baldfacetruth.org, the website for the BFT Foundation, and make a donation today, you can help support Sheridan High School's football program by doing that we can also take some calls if you're moved and you feel like calling in and you want to hey i don't want to go to the website i just want to call in and make a donation we've got uh, a couple people that are willing to take your credit card information and process that donation at 503-417-7575 so let's welcome on brady wolford who is a football player at sheridan high school going to talk to us about his experience there. Brady, thank you for, for coming on and, and telling us a little bit about what you're doing. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Doing real well. What position do you play? Let's start then, because I got to know, we're on radio. Uh, you know, are, are we talking about a uh, you know a five-foot-six slot receiver? Are we talking about a six-foot-two-inch offensive lineman? What are we talking about? Uh, I'm a six-foot-three middle linebacker and center. Okay, not bad. We might we might uh we might launch a recruiting service here. Um give us an idea. Um Sheridan High School football. I know nothing about the football program. You go to school there, you know the pride and the and what it is to belong to something. Give us an idea of kind of the state of things at Sheridan High School. Well, it's just a very small town, small school, and just not a lot of athletes that are willing to come out. So we work with what we have and we Try to make it worse as best as we can. Now, for people who don't know, you know, I don't know, uh, you have a new coach coming in, and, you know, there seems to be a little bit of enthusiasm. I heard about it. I had several people reach out and say, hey, uh, this is the real deal. I happened to be at the college football playoff, and I had a kid who, who played football at Sheridan High School said, hey, you know, the, the coach at Sheridan is really trying to get it going. What have you noticed with, with Coach Carter coming in and kind of taking over the program. What kind of enthusiasm, what kind of difference has it felt like to you with him around? 
There's a really big difference with discipline and just wanting to play more. I know with coaches in the past, it's been very put down, undisciplined, and just not having much love for the sport. But ever since Drew Carter's came over, I've definitely wanted to play more, and it's just been a big change for our school. Give us an idea of, you know, if we do have some people who want to go to baldfacetruth.org or call in today and make a donation that is a tax-deductible donation that will uh, go to the Sheridan High School football program, what are we talking about? What needs do you guys have? What kind of equipment do you have? And don't be shy here because, you know, give us the real look at what it's like when, you know, you look into the equipment shed or the or the locker room. Well, ever since I played football for Sheridan High School, I don't think I've ever received any new gear. So it's very aged equipment. It would just help to have new shoulder pads, new cleats for kids who don't have enough money to afford their own cleats, and helmets, and just shoes for when we're doing walkthroughs, or just outfits for when we go to stuff like team camps or lineman camps. Last season, I'm just looking stat-wise, the varsity team, I believe, went 0-9. And, and I'm looking at, you know, some of the scores of these games. It wasn't pretty. Um, get, you know, how hard was that for you to, to go through a season like that? It's very tough. Um, I just have a strong love for the game. So I've always pushed through it, no matter what the score was. I haven't won a football game since my freshman year. Now I'm going into my senior year. So it's definitely difficult seeing the score at the end of the game, but I always have hope for the next one. Yeah, I'm going back to 2022 even. You know, Falls City 60, Sheridan 22. Um, uh, Nestucca 52, Sheridan 6. Santiam 78, Sheridan nothing. Uh, Napa uh, 54, Sheridan nothing. Um, 30 to nothing, 41 nothing, 50 nothing. Uh, you know, give us an idea of what it would mean to you to win a game your senior year and and, and be able to walk around uh, campus and, and have people go, hey, you're on the football team, That's and, and see it with pride. It'd mean the world to me. I really want to win one. I want my team to want to win one for my town and everything. I know we have a small town, but they always come to our games and show their support. And it's hard losing games like that, you know, 78 to zero and 40 to zero. It's pretty difficult to want to play, but at the same time, it's I I'm gonna stick around even for when we get one. Still gonna be here no matter how the season goes. We're talking to Brady Wolford. He is a linebacker and a center at uh, Sheridan High School. And again, for people who would like to uh, make a donation today, you can go to baldfacetruth.org. If you want to do it online, or you can call 503-417-7575. You want to help out the Sheridan High School uh, boys varsity football team uh, and help them uh, in, in what will be uh, Brady's senior season. All right, give me an idea, Brady. Um, you know, I've I've done stories before. I remember Park Rose High School had you know went a stretch like this where it was five or six years and they didn't win a game, and. Um, you know, the BFT Foundation got behind that school. We bought uniforms for the team and a blocking sled, and suddenly there was a little bit of pride. And some other kids on campus that weren't playing started to come out for football. Are there are there players on campus, Brady, that would maybe get behind 
joining the team if you know if if there were uniforms if there were cleats because i know too that you know in that community that you're talking about you are dealing with some single parent households you're dealing with some low income families and and there's a cost to playing football uh, you know how much how much of that is an obstacle for for kids that want to come out and and maybe should be playing i think people definitely would come out and play more football if they seen that you know we're happy with what we have and happy with new blocking sleds and stuff like tackle wheels and equipment definitely think that players would be getting less injured if we had stuff like new helmets and shoulder pads because in the past we've had many head injuries or shoulder injuries or something like that due to equipment that just isn't holding up good so i think kids would definitely be more motivated to come out and if there's people like low-income families that can't afford cleats I think it would be nice to know that we have their back and we have that stuff ready for them. It's good stuff, Brady. All right, listen, it's been a big news day with college football at school. I am sure you guys are talking about this kind of stuff. You guys talk about, you know, Dan Lanning and Washington football and Alabama, or is this a subject of conversation on campus at all? Uh, it's definitely been talked around. I myself don't watch too much college football. But it's definitely been spreading around who's got who and how the game went. Yeah, yeah give, give me an idea. What do you want to do? What do you want to do after high school? So you got a you got a senior year coming up. Do you have any sense of where you want to go? Maybe what you want to study? And if you don't know, it's okay. I'm not too too sure what I'm up to after high school, but I'm looking into trades. Probably I'm not sure about the whole college thing unless there was a sport involved with it. Amen to that. Br- Brady Wolford is our guest, Sheridan High School football player. Brady, I think you've done a fantastic job letting people, you know, putting a face on the football program, and I thank you for that. We're going to get your coach on later in the show. Coach Drew Carter will be joining us, but Brady, thank you. Very welcome. Thank you for having me on here. It means a lot. All right, you're going to get a win next season. Sheridan High School. Here's the thing, um, and we do this once in a while on the show. We're a community here, and and we talk about that. But it, you know, this is a football program that's got an empty shed and old equipment and not a lot of pride in the football program. And we have done this before. We've done it at Park Rose and some other places where I've just opened the lines and said, hey, if you want to give today, uh, if you want to make a tax-deductible donation to the BFT Foundation, we will earmark those donations to the Sheridan High School football program. We just had somebody who reached out to me who said, um, I will give a $1,500 match for anybody who gives a donation uh, between now and one hour from now. So in the next hour, there is a $1,500 match coming from uh, Biologic Resources in Beaverton. It's a business in Beaverton that has uh, been a longtime supporter of the foundation. So if you would like to double your donation... Um, there's a $1,500 match that is out there to help out. Um, also, a good friend, the Heller family in Scappoose, Oregon, reaching out to me, said he will donate as well. It is a great story. If you want to make a donation, 503-417-7575. We can take that donation over the phone with a credit card, or you can go online to baldfacetruth.org. Um, 
Coach Carter's coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. I want to hear from him as well. But we have that match that will last for the next hour. Make it count. Leave it here. Telling you we're a community. I love that. Love that interview with the Sheridan High School football player. Uh, We'll talk to his coach next hour. We do have a match of $1,500. Jeff Heller from the uh, David Heller Foundation has also offered a AED, a traveling AED device. Um, People may be familiar with the story of David Heller, um, a Central Catholic high school basketball player who passed away tragically from a heart-related incident incident um you know more than uh, i think it was more than a decade ago and uh, the heller family has made it their mission to make sure that uh, the sports teams have those aeds and so the heller family is making a donation and uh saying they'll give um the program at sheridan high school a traveling aed device if you are somebody who has a kid playing a sport ask if ask your 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 uh, coaches of your youth sports teams your high school teams, do they have an AED device on site? You can save a life, and we have seen more than one instance here in our community that has resulted in a, uh, a life-saving uh, procedure. Uh, Daryl is in Myrtle Creek, wants to talk about the college football palooza that's been going on. Nick Saban, Kalen DeBoer, Dan Lanning. Daryl, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for taking my call. And... Kudos to Dan Lanning for staying, thank goodness. And the other thing is Kalen DeBoer. Everybody's calling in and saying he's not a good recruiter and stuff. But you have to look. He's been a winner everywhere he's gone, number one. Number two, he was at Washington, which isn't a real high priority, I guess you'd say, for the recruits to go to. Now he's at Alabama. He's going to have probably unlimited resources. And I think he's going to turn turn it around and and be a really good recruiter for that simple fact. We'll find out. I mean, I think, you know, in today's world, it's not just, you know, it used to be what? It used to be your your conference alignment, your facilities, maybe some tradition, playing time. What mattered to kids in recruiting? And more and more when we talk to coaches on this show – and off air when I talk to coaches and when I talk to the recruiting experts, they say, yeah, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on which side you're on, the conversation that is being had with recruits and coaches now begins with, you know, um, who who can we talk to about the NIL opportunities for major recruits? And it's it's changed the calculus. Nick Saban knows that. Chris Peterson saw it coming. David Shaw knew it. And I think you're seeing a transition of coaches and, and changes. Stephen, what you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what happened with Kalen DeBoer, how recruiting has changed, you know, how how jilted Washington fans must feel. I mean, they just played for a national championship, now they're starting over. And I think it's really interesting to kind of watch that unfold. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how Washington fans react to all this. I mean, it's just it seemed like, to me, John, it seemed like a perfect situation for Kalen DeBoer to stay at Washington. I was shocked that he left because I feel like at Washington, they proved that they can win. And so now he's going to Alabama, and I understand they can win there as well, but he was such a good coach, and he really you know, revitalized that program to where they are. I mean, they were so down for a second there. 
And, you know, you think about the Jimmy Lake situation when he's you know, shoving players on the sidelines and how bad it got. And now if you're yeah. a fan, it's just, man, it's it's got to be just heartbreaking for you to have that happen to you just you know out of nowhere, it seems like, to them. When, it, when in actuality now it's coming out, well, it seems like it was going on for a while. So it's just, you know, a real kick in the teeth there, and uh, the rug just pulled right out from underneath them. Better to have lost, loved and lost, or never loved. You know, you, you talk about Washington getting to the championship game. I think everybody knew Penix Jr. leaving was going to cause, um, you know, a, a rebuild in Wash, you know, in Seattle. But as long as you had Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb, you thought, well, they'll probably get a top-line transfer quarterback in the portal. They'll replace him. They'll go after big receivers. Um, you know, Kalen DeBoer leaving Washington is interesting. Who do you like for the job? You, you know, you're a Jed Fish fan. You think Jed Fish goes there and he wins? Does is it Cliff Kingsbury? He didn't do all that well at Texas Tech. Who would you like for that Washington job? Yeah, I mean, I think Jed Fish is is a very interesting name because the way he coached that Arizona team and the way that they performed at the end of the season. I mean, you could argue they were, you know, they probably were the third best team in the Pac-12 all season long. Really, I mean, even go back to that game when they played Washington. It was a one score game, and at the time, we thought, oh man, Washington really played down to their competition. When in actuality, it was. Arizona play to the way they play. And so I think Jet Fish would be a big name for that. Um, I I wonder what, you know, is it a guy like uh, Justin Wilcox? Would he be interested? Would they be interested in a guy he's, like him? Yeah, I think he's you know, coached there before. He's coached there him. before. I yeah. think that would be a really interesting spot because I think Washington needs to get a guy that is a head coach and they can't go with a coordinator. I think they need a guy, you know, DeBoer, whether, you know, he coached at Fresno State. He had the head coach experience. I think they need a head coach that they hire from somebody else. So I, I think if they go coordinator, I think it's a little risky, but, uh, you know, that's, I feel like they need someone with experience. I think Wilcox has it. I think Jet Fish has it. I think they can both be successful uh, up at Washington with those resources. I, I Here's another thing that I think is a problematic for Washington. There was no Jen Cohen. And, you know, she leaves Washington as the AD and she goes, uh, onto USC. And so Kalen DeBoer didn't have that ally that was there and hired him. And there was a real problem there as you got Troy Dannon, who is, you know, the new athletic director, and you got Anna Marie Casse, um, and you're trying to figure out at Washington, like, who's the decision maker? It's an important question. You know, and it's like it's like in sales when somebody's working in sales, you know, and if you're in medical sales or you're in any kind of sales, you walk in through the door and you're on a cold call, you're interested in finding out who's the decision maker in this in this business. Who's the person I need to talk with? And I think at Washington there's a problem right now because Dannon has been so under the radar. Nobody nobody knows him. And so, you know, you got a guy from Tulane who is uh getting walked all over by Jimmy Sexton in the negotiation and has not is not familiar with this kind of stuff and he got used and you know Alabama got got your coach and so now you know does he does he try to just promote Ryan Grubb do they try to keep him do they go after Kingsbury somebody like that do they go after Jed Fish do they try to buy Jonathan Smith out of his buyout at Michigan State feels too steep and too soon uh, got a real problem there. Meanwhile, um, the Seahawks are also looking for a head coach, and I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, if you've got, if you've got, you know, the ability to get Jim Harbaugh into the building, I think a lot of people will forgive, uh, you know, the uh, 
they'll forgive Washington, you know, the Seattle Seahawks for pushing out Pete Carroll the way they did. But if you don't, if you get, you know, somebody who's underwhelming, I I think there's going to be a little bit of the same kind of feeling around the Seattle Seahawks program. All right, coming up in uh, the next hour, we're going to talk a little bit about the mess at one center court. Did you see the Blazers score last night, Stephen? I uh, I unfortunately did. Yes, I, that was not very good. Blazers got boat raced, and and I think you look you don't expect them to win a bunch of games, but what has happened to the Trailblazers organization is embarrassing. It's not um you know what was it one the Blazers did they get seventy seven or so is that what they got? Uh, yeah. yeah, it was a sixty five point loss for the Trailblazers. One thirty nine to seventy seven. Sixty two. And then you got you got UCLA getting whacked by Utah. Like, embarrassing. Second-worst loss ever. Mick Cronin, UCLA, he's got a problem, too, this season. Like, There's some ugly scores that are, that are out there. And I was looking at those two things that happened last night, and I was thinking to myself, wow, what an unceremonious fall for UCLA men's basketball, who we have seen play in a Final Four recently. And then the Blazers. And then I'm kind of looking over at Seahawks fans, and I'm going, hey, you realize... The people who brought the Blazers to this moment where they're getting beat by 62 points are the same people that are going to be in charge of hiring your coach. Good luck to you. Like, you know, it, there's there's a whole bunch of this stuff going on. So we'll talk about it coming up as Punch It Audio will lead off next hour. I, I'm still thinking about Jonathan Smith. Sitting in Oregon State, he would have been happy to go to Washington, right? You know, it was obviously he was sketched out by what was going on with Oregon State, not having a conference, Pac-2, all of that. He was obviously sketched out by it. And there's that saying, first port in a storm, you know? One time Anna and I were driving. We were in the eastern part of the United States. We're up on, uh, up, up on the Cape, and a hurricane came in. There was a hurricane going on. And I can remember she had this little booklet. It was like a AAA booklet. It had a bunch of hotels and bed and breakfast and place like that. She had a AAA booklet, and it was like, just find a place because there's a hurricane happening. And so we grabbed the first place that's available. That's what Jonathan Smith did in his agent. He grabbed the first port in a storm. Where do you think so he has speak. a better chance to win, Michigan State or if he went to Washington? Washington. They're think, in the same conference now. I know, what's, but do you think that's a better job? But do you think it's more definitive that it's going to be at Washington? I mean, Michigan State has got to the cultural playoff as well. Like, it's not like they're a terrible program either. They're not terrible, but they've been bad. They're in a. They're coming out of a dark place, and and I and look when you talk about the Big Ten, and this isn't the old Big Ten; it's the new Big Ten. The best teams in the Big Ten, the contenders in the Big Ten, are Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, now Oregon, USC. Now then, there's a tier drop off, and you start to you know I would put Washington right behind Oregon, and then I would go schools like Wisconsin, then Michigan State, then I start talking about the Purdue's of the world. So I think Jonathan Smith, like, it's not like it's a 
you know, definitively better job, but it's a better job, and it's a place he's familiar with, and he's not in Siberia. Have you been to East Lansing, Michigan? I have. I have. I have. I've been there a few times, and I can tell you one experience I had in East Lansing, Michigan. I was going to cover a Michigan State basketball game in the dead of winter. Tom Izzo, obviously the coach there, Um, and I'm driving, and I'm getting on to the freeway, and I'm terrified because it's icy, and it's literally like driving on a uh, on a uh, ice rink, and I'm going through kind of that. You know how the when you get off the freeway on the on ramp, it's kind of a corkscrew down or corkscrew up to get up there. You know, it's not ideal when you're in ice, and I'm you know and I'm nervous. And there's this car behind me that is clearly like somebody who lives in this weather and is handling it much better than I am. And so they. Uh, they they're annoyed with me because I'm going too slow and I'm and I'm exiting the freeway on that big kind of windy curve that goes down and I kind of spin around and I and and they rolled their window down Stephen Vaughn and they threw out the window a two liter soft drink soda container that was full and it hit the side of my car. Now, I didn't realize it because I thought I hit something because I heard the noise. And and I pulled over to look at what it was. It was a two-liter, and it was frozen solid. <laughs> East Lansing, Michigan, people. Somebody had left like a two-liter of Sprite in his car, and it froze. It was frozen. And they rolled the window down and threw it at my car. And I was like, welcome to East Lansing. It's It's Siberia. You know, I took my laptop out and I was outside my car exiting the uh, I was exiting the arena and I took my laptop out. I had to make a change in a column and I put the laptop on the hood of my car in the parking lot. It turned into an ice sculpture like it's like almost immediately. It's it's like you're you know, it's just different. It's Siberia. So Jonathan Smith's going into that. So I, I got to think, you know, he's coached at Washington. What the the move would have been. He goes to Washington, you know, and he goes and tries to convince, uh, you know, Justin Wilcox at Cal to come be his coordinator, be my D coordinator. That would have been the dream for Jonathan Smith. But, you know, he's got about the eighth best job at Michigan State. He has to be having buyer's remorse. I think he has to be. We will see. All right. Uh, If you want to make a donation to the Sheridan High School football program, you can call 503-417-7575. And uh, our uh, our staff will uh, take your credit card info, and or you can just go to baldfacetruth.org. You heard uh, the offensive uh, lineman, linebacker from Sheridan High School last hour. He was awesome talking about kind of the pride. They have not won a football game in his time, not since his freshman season. He's going to be a senior. And their games last year, I was looking at the scores, 64 to nothing, 46 to nothing, 40 to nothing. It, you know, they need equipment. They need a little pride around the program. They need kids on campus to go, hey, it's not a bad thing to be a football player. It's not embarrassing to be a football player. they got a brand-new coach, Coach Drew Carter. He'll be joining us later this hour. But if you want to help them out, uh, we have a match, $1,500 match, that will extend until about 4.30 today. If you uh, give online at baldfacetruth.org or you call in at 503-417-7575, your donations are doubled. Let's play Punch It. 
We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, there's no business like show business. And it is show business when it comes to college football coaching jobs. Kalen DeBoer, Washington coach, on his way to Alabama. Here's Coach DeBoer on Media Day on this show talking about his daughter, softball player at Washington. He was waxing nostalgic. Punch it. Pretty proud of her. And yeah. um, she's uh, she's fun to just uh, I'm super proud to be a dad and um, you know proud of everything she's accomplished. It's cool to watch kids grow up. No doubt. You know, you know, you've, you've seen it. I think it changes, uh, you know, uh, when you have kids and you're a coach, I think yeah, you have a different perspective on you know how you're coaching and who you're coaching and yeah. what you're trying to accomplish uh you know just understanding that uh, there's parents that are home wondering how their kids doing on the football field you yeah. know and so um it, it uh, certainly brings into perspective and i think as my kids have gotten older um even more so especially when it comes to recruiting yeah you know and just trying to communicate and really work through the process with them and now he's going to alabama is she gonna go with him does she get a softball scholarship in the deal She's a big-time softball recruit, came in at Washington. Kalen DeBoer going on to Alabama, where he will succeed Nick Saban as the football coach. Chauncey Billups, Blazers coach. Blazers got trounced 139-77 to against Oklahoma City. What happened, coach? Punch it. Not much really good to say about this one for us. I mean, I will say this. I thought that we generated some pretty good looks in the first half. We just had no resistance. I thought uh, we allowed our lack of shot making to deflate us on the other end of the floor. And then you're playing against a, an elite team, you know, that, that really moves the ball. You know, they get 41 assists on 53 made field goals. It's, I mean, shoot, that's unheard of, you know. So it was, it was almost like a perfect storm, to be honest with you. You know, nothing really worked for us. Look, I, I, don't, I don't think the roster's good. And I've, I've given Chauncey Billups a pass to this point. But when you get beat by that kind of score, I think you have to look at, you have to go beyond the roster. Fifth worst defeat in NBA history by scoring margin in the regular season. Some of this is coaching. You don't get beat like that if you show up to play. I don't think the Blazers showed up to play. And on top of that, I don't think the roster's very good. And so I think that's the perfect storm Chauncey Billups is talking about. Steven, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. And I, I think, you know, I got a little uh, pushback on Twitter last night just saying, you know, I'm not even defending Chauncey, but if you put Eric Spolstra as the coach, this team's not going to be good either. Like, I, I do think that they're both a problem. Like, the, it can both be that the roster's not good and the coach isn't good, and that can definitely be true. And so I, I think you're right. Like, Chauncey has to prove that he can get guys up, he can drop some plays, he can get guys to score because – 77 points is it's embarrassing like you know that's just embarrassing to lose by that many points um in an nba game no matter who you're playing against so i think there's some real questions on chauncey billups can he actually coach in the nba i think at the start of the year i was starting to think maybe he could be an okay coach now i'm starting to think no because the way that they've been playing they used to play some defense they were winning with defense now there's no defense to be found and the offense has gotten so stagnant it's just bad so It'll be interesting to see what they can what they do the rest of the season, but I don't have high hopes 
that Chauncey will be able to figure it out and uh, you know turn this season around just so they're competitive because we didn't expect wins, but we expect some progress out of you know the young players, Scoot Henderson, Shaden Sharp, Amphrey Simons, and they've all kind of gone backwards a little bit the last you know 10, 15 games. So I want to see some progress out of uh, Chauncey Billups and the Portland Trailblazers this season. I don't need to see wins. I just need to see some competitiveness. And if not, I mean, I... <laughs> Who knows? Because you're, you you talked about the Seahawks and Burt Cold and Jody Allen running that thing. Hopefully not into the ground. They've kind of ran this thing in the ground here in Portland. Hopefully they can figure it out. They are non-basketball people. That's a problem. I think it's part of the problem. Pete Carroll unceremoniously dumped this week by those same two people, Jody Allen, Burt Cold. Pete Carroll talked about it on Seattle's 710 AM. Punch it. The initial part of it is trying to get at the essence of it. And then, okay, what is the essence of the adjustments that are necessary? And that's where that's where the um, you know maybe don't see eye to eye on you know because you know, I see it one way and and I think uh, I got a way to, to fix it and I, I'm not going to kind of halfway fix it. I'm trying to fix it so it's perfect. So I I've got you know real precise and specific thoughts, and they may not see it that way. They may not agree with it. They may not see that that's the right answer or that's not the answer that makes them feel good and and uh, the difficult part if you guys could, could know is it's really hard because they're not football people you know they're not coaches and so to get to the real details of it it's really difficult for other people yeah difficult they don't know what they're doing it's dumb and dumber it's Tweedledee and Tweedledum it's Jody Allen how did you get there Jody well my brother became a billionaire, and I'm the trustee of his estate. And it's Bert Cold. How did you get there, Bert? Well, Bert says, you know what? I, uh, The luck of the draw. It was my college roommate became a billionaire. That's how Bert Cold got to the position where he's vice chair of the Blazers and, and sitting there in charge of what the Seahawks are doing. I don't know. Think about this if you're out there. Who was your college roommate? You know, my college roommate was a guy named Earl. Earl ended up committing an armed robbery after college. He went to prison. Bert Cold's college roommate built computers and became a billionaire. It's the luck of the draw. Think about it. UCLA's Mick Cronin. They got beat badly last night. UCLA 90-44 to losers at Utah. Mick Cronin all season long has been throwing his players under the bus after losses. He has a reciprocal buyout in his contract. If he leaves or is fired before April 1st, $20 million. It's $16 million after April 1st. Mick Cronin, like he doesn't, like a man who knows he's got security, even after a bad loss. Punch it. Like you can say, like, look, they blew us out. We got our ass kicked. Um, they made every shot. They got on a roll. We can't, you know, they're just letting us shoot. And we, but, I mean, they're just giving us target practice, you know. So sometimes the game's not that complicated. Not that complicated, but they are getting beat badly. I think his players have quit on him. I think he beat them up so much in post-game news conferences, talked down about him, blamed him, threw him under the bus. I think they stopped playing for him. Watch when you see UCLA play. You tell me, are they playing hard? I don't think though. I don't think so. Joe Flacco talking about playoff experience. Browns at Texans on Saturday in the wild card in the NFL. 
Here's Flacco. Punch it. I'm sure there's a, a level of importance to it in terms of letting the football game come to you, not not necessarily riding too high and riding too low when things happen, realizing that it is another football game. Um, but ultimately, the most important thing in, in, in playoff games is executing your fundamentals to the highest degree. And I don't think that that, that necessarily takes experience to do. It, it just... Uh, it just takes you staying level-headed and playing within yourself. Browns at Texans tomorrow, one thirty. Dolphins Chiefs at 5 o'clock. That one's going to be cold. You think it's going to be cold in the Portland metropolitan area and in the state of Oregon? The National Weather Service is listing the low on Saturday as minus 8 degrees. Wind chill could be minus 20 to minus 30. Patrick Mahomes is uh, going to stay warm. Bill Belichick, what will he do after leaving the Patriots? Tom Curran in Boston saying he knows what Belichick should do. Punch it. TV is the best move, believe it or not, even though he is uh, a septuagenarian. I think TV would be a great move for him because it gives him an opportunity to go, bounce his grandkids on his knees, assemble a staff the way that he wants to, catch his breath and pick the location that he wants to be in and really you know, figure out how, is it, how long will it take me to get 15 more wins? Because the last two years, he got 12. So what does he want to do? And I think television would make sense. But that would be, as Bill has said in the past, like the treadmill stopping while you're still running on it. And I think that he'll most likely go coach and again, I trust Mike Lombardi, and he says Atlanta. So he doesn't say Atlanta like it's going to happen, but right. just that they should come hard for his services. And I believe that that makes a lot of sense. It'll be interesting to see what happens to Belichick. Um, you know, he's not known as a guy who's a talker, but you're gonna are we going to end up with broadcasts featuring Tom Brady and Bill Belichick on television, breaking things down, get to know another side of him? I, he doesn't strike me as a guy who needs the money or the platform. But we'll see. Meanwhile, Chargers and Raiders in play for Jim Harbaugh, says Tom Pelissaro. Punch it. Two teams, the Raiders and the Chargers. I would still bring up those two teams. It certainly seems, just based upon how the processes have gone so far, that the Chargers at this point probably um, seem like they're more in play for Jim Harbaugh. But when you're talking about a coach of this caliber, I don't think that you take anybody off the table until they uh, ultimately go in a different direction. Yeah, look, uh, Harbaugh to the Chargers, only if the Spanos family is going to give him control. And the Raiders are dysfunctional. They've been dysfunctional dating back to not just Mark Davis, but his dad's tenure, Al Davis. It was a mess. I covered the Raiders in those eras. It was, uh, you know, it was messy. They had a lot of dysfunction. It's problematic. Speaking of problematic, Shaquille O'Neal talking about Yusuf Nurkic. Did Nurk want to press charges against Draymond Green? Or did he want to punch him back? Nurk is now saying he didn't want to press charges, but there was some talk about that. Here's Shaq breaking it down. Punch it. But you know, I want to have a uh, Captain Williams moment right now. Per NBC Sports, I don't know if it's true or not, but I want to address it. Yusuf Nurkic, Nurkic, whatever his name is, is talking about pressing charges against Draymond Green. Now, I have a problem with that. 
Because one, it just shows how soft you are as a big man. You're going to ruin what I created in the Big Man Alliance. The reason why Draymond hit you, sir, because he knows you're not going to hit him back. So for you to say, even think about saying you're pressing charges, you're soft. And this is something I would tell you to your face if I saw you. You can't press charges. You just got to get your big ass up and hit somebody back. How about that with your big soft ass? I love it. I love that Shaq is spitting truth. I wish he could talk to the entire Blazers team, not just former Blazers. Yusuf Nurkic was kind of, um, how do I put this? He was petty. And so Nurk has since come out and said he didn't want to press charges. But, Stephen, I kind of think he, I believe it a little bit. Yeah, that seems like something that uh, Nurk would want to do. And I agree with Shaq. You know, that's that's the problem with Nurk is he is a, gi- I mean, a giant human being, one of the bigger guys in the NBA. But he just did not play very tough. I, I think that a lot of it has to do with he didn't start playing basketball until he was a lot older. And so he didn't never really, you know, had that aggression to him, and you know, can't really finish around the basket. There's a lot of things wrong with Nurk, and you know, I'm glad that I, you know, I really hope that he's not going to press charges because, you know, what, you know, it wasn't a basketball move by Draymond Green, but it's on the court. Like, you know, just, just finish it there. Like, he should have done something back to Draymond. So, good for Shaq to call him out because I'm always down for a little Nurk slander. Kalen DeBoer going to Alabama. We'll see what happens to Pete Carroll. Dan Landing staying put at Oregon. He joined us yesterday on the Bald Face Truth radio show. Here's how the interview ended. I, I like the end of the interview. Landing talking about how good his job is. Is it a top five job? Is it a top three job? Is, is it the best job in college football? Dan Landing, thank you for joining us. Glad you're sticking around. I believe you. Um, maybe I'm a sucker, but I, I'm listening to your words. I'm hearing your logic. I see the job at Oregon. I think that's a top five job right now in the country. I think you got a really good job. Let's make it number one, man. Okay, there you go. That's your job. Go make it. No doubt. Got to make it his job to be the best program in America. It's a really good job because you got Division Street. you got resources at Oregon. You can go out and get guys. You can buy players. That's the era we're in. Coming up, we'll talk more about Kalen DeBoer's replacement at Washington. Plus, uh, the news anchor at KVAL in Eugene has issued an apology for reporting that Dan Landing was in Tuscaloosa. We'll unpack that later in the show. Also, we'll hear from the football coach at Sheridan High School. They are uh, trying to get it going, trying to get a start to a new era of football. They need some help. They haven't won a game in several years. Drew Carter, the football coach, coming up. Would Washington pay the buyout for Jonathan Smith at Michigan State? Keep an eye on it. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to rile up the Michigan State fans who might be listening to this show, but. Um, Washington's going to collect a $12 million buyout for Kalen DeBoer going to Alabama. They're going to get 12 mil. Now, Jonathan Smith's buyout at Michigan State is only 7 mil. So Washington's $5 million ahead, and they get Jonathan Smith? I don't know. Maybe you think about that if you are Washington. Uh, last hour, we talked to a football player at Sheridan High School. Anna has popped into the studio. Anna, you missed it. It was a great interview. Kid came on the show. Senior to be at Sheridan High School, plays football. He'd like to win one varsity football game in his high school career. He's got a new coach taking over the program in Drew Carter. Sheridan High School um, features 
uh, kids on the program that come from low-income families, single-parent households in some cases. Uh, they don't have a lot in the way of equipment, and we are trying to, along in conjunction with uh, some generous listeners and the BFT Foundation, maybe help uh, give them a kickstart this next season. You know, it's not often that you get to play, as a listener of the radio show, you get to play Phil Knight for a high school football program. But you can be impactful simply by making a $25, $50, $100 donation, whatever you can you can afford. You're buying into a football program. Think about it as, you know, the NIL collectives of college football, except you're on the high school level and you're making an impact, not just an impression, an impact with a kid at a high school trying to help a program get its feet underneath it. Anna, you went to Park Rose High School. We did this years ago with Park Rose. Yeah. They were coming off an era where they had not won a game in like, had not won a league game in like eight years. Yeah, we lost like homecoming games. You lost them all. <laughs> lost them all. <laughs> and the football coach at Park Rose reached out to the BFT Foundation and said, hey, we don't have a blocking sled. We would love a blocking sled. That would help us practice. And the BFT Foundation bought a blocking sled for Park Rose High School. The next year, we bought uniforms for the for the kids because there was a problem on campus. There was no pride. There were kids who were like, you know, I went I went over to the school and I was walking around going, does that kid play football? Does that kid play football? There was these big giant kids and they're like, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. There was no pride. Mm-hmm. And so we tried to instill some pride in the football program. And by that third or fourth year, Park Rose made the playoffs. Yeah, it was great. I mean, the football team was playing with goalposts that were made from PVC pipe. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't pretty. Well, Drew Carter is the new coach at Sheridan High School, and he's joining us now. If you'd like to make a donation, by the way, 503-417-7575. We'll take your credit card information over the phone. Or you can go online to baldfacetruth.org and make a donation. We have a $1,500 match that will extend uh, to the end of this segment. And so if you'd like to have your donation count double, Give now and help out. Here's Drew Carter. He's the coach at Sheridan. Drew, your uh, your player did great earlier in the three o'clock hour. You had to be really proud. Yes, uh, thank you, John, for having me on. First time, long time. Um, I, I'm entering uh, year two of the football program, and so um, just the opportunity for me to be on here and share our need. Um, we don't have an. Um, Uncle Phil, but we have cousin John on the radio <laughs> helping us out. And so we we uh, we really uh, do appreciate this. When Brady got off the phone, his eyes got really big, and like fifteen hundred dollars was like wow. Um, yeah, just this is a great opportunity to share about the cause. You know, I've coached for a long time. It, it was funny you mentioned Tony Fisher earlier in the show he played at sheldon not at sheridan okay. and, and the the world the world at, Sh- at sheldon high school i was so lucky to be a part of um all of that um and when i took over at sheridan i'm not trying to turn sheridan into sheldon i'm trying to like you said you know it's like the park rose story these kids had when i came in we had nothing last year we w- had some generous donations we 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 were able to get a blocking sled. I want to clarify something Brady said. We we have basic equipment 
that that's functional. He talked about some injuries and stuff that that's just, that's what's hurt our program, but it had nothing to do with the equipment. We just haven't ever been able to get brand new equipment. We want to get uniforms. We have kids that show up. They, they don't even have athletic shorts or um, tennis shoes or cleats and, uh, this opportunity is really big for us because we don't have the resources out in a community like that. And so this is just a wonderful opportunity. So thank you so much. You bet. And I and I want to thank our listeners who stepped up last hour and can continue to do that by going to baldfacetruth.org or calling in right now at 503-417-7575. Coach, let me ask you, you know, the makeup of – the student body in teams and low income families. And you mentioned kids who show up who, you know, don't have basic equipment. And that's where the Bald Face Truth Foundation has tried to step in over the years. How big would it be for some of those kids to, you know, be able to have that equipment and have a pair of shoes and be part of something? Uh, it's, it's immeasurable, John. We want to, there's a lot of barriers, like, you know, kids not feeling like they have the equipment to participate. You know, we've got a lot of really hardworking people in the community that we do have a youth program. We do have a middle school program, but it's just, um, you know, it's hard to attract kids because of the cost. And we want to be able to provide basic things. Some of this money that's going to be donated will, will allow us to put on a free football camp and clinic again. We did that last year and we were real fortunate to have, um, some some people step up who, who I've known for a long time and who I coach with come out and do that and we want to we want to have a, a youth football camp we want to provide free t-shirts we want to be able to just um, you know provide opportunity you know I, I I'm still really close with uh, Alex Frank and he has all of those great facilities and trains the the high-end athletes and does all of that our kids don't have the resources to attend that stuff and and brink was awesome last year he he called me from the elite 11 camp and said hey coach what do you need and so um i get it i get emotional about this because our kids have nothing and so um you know 25 dollars that would go to buy some a t-shirt and a pair of show, shorts 50 dollars would go to getting a kid a pair of cleats or sneakers so he could just show up and having these things for kids takes down the barriers and you're right. I mean, if we had matching like hoodies and sweats, like most normal teams have, we would have more of a sense of pride and kids would feel like, Hey, I get this and I get to be on the football team and, and just it's, the, this opportunity and the things that we can do is immeasurable. High school is such an important time for kids in their development, if their confidence. Um, what do you see in terms of sports and the impact that it can have on the kids that you're working with there for anybody who maybe hasn't played a sport? Well, thanks, Anna. It's good to hear your voice. I'm also a big fan of yours and love listening to you on the show. I think one of the things that this money can do, and we did this last year, um, it was able to provide provisions. And what I mean by that is team meals and food for these kids. Um, a lot of times we have to travel for away games. And, um, you know, a lot of schools can swing into a McDonald's and, you know, 
some of our kids don't have 10 bucks to spend at McDonald's. And so our parents rallied and we had some donations and we were able to provide sack lunches for kids. We got some team meals and the just things that these kids, a lot of people take for granted they don't have. And so um, being a part of a, a team teaches, you know, leadership and camaraderie and support and um, friendships. You know, we have kids that talk about their love for playing football because of friendships. Even though we haven't won a game in years, they play for their friends and they play um, to be a part of something that that is recognized by the community. We just want to take down some of the barriers that are there to play, the cost, the, the clothes, the training, all of those kinds of things. We're talking to Drew Carter, who is the coach at Sheridan High School, football coach. Uh, we're uh, we're kind of doing a pop-up fundraiser today, so to speak. 503-417-7575. If you'd like to make a donation to make uh, to make it happen uh, for those kids. Literally, Drew, um, I, got, I have tears in my eyes. Anna is wiping tears off her cheeks because I'm thinking about kids that might not have anything else going on in their life that ha- get to go be part of something that becomes, you know, a sense of pride, yes, but also maybe a little bit of an escape for whatever else is going on in their life. And I think sports sometimes provides that. I know I played alongside kids in high school and in college that that needed something like that. They didn't have anything else. And, but I got to ask you, you mentioned Sheldon High School in Eugene. That's a powerhouse. You know, that's a program that you were associated with. That's a powerhouse that deep into the playoffs every year, championships. Sheridan's a different story. You could have picked an easier job. Why did you pick Sheridan? Oh, uh, they picked me, really. Um, you know, I got out of coaching. I have I have a family now and um, just, you know, my career as a school, school counselor. And um, I want to give a shout-out to um, – our HR director and John Taylor, they they called me a year ago and said, hey, come out and interview. And I just, this is a need. And um, I have lots of experience and connection. And that that's what I, I want to do for that community. I plan on being there for a long time and providing opportunities for kids because I just want them to participate, to feel a sense of pride to learn those life skills, build lifelong relationships. And somewhere along the way, if we can bolster our turnout and get better, they can experience that, that feeling of winning. But it, it, it's about uh, creating an opportunity for them to participate and build those life skills and build memories together. And, you know, we've been able to do a few things over this last year, um, but we're in need of new uniforms. Like I said, we don't even have team hoodies or shirts or things like that. And oftentimes kids show up with, with what they have. They have Crocs on and pajama pants. And, you know, I, I said, Hey, where's your shirts? Well, I don't have any. And, you know, just being able to ha- provide that stuff, um, provide opportunities. We're, we're really lucky. We get to go to Sayusla High School for team camp. Um, you know, Sam Johnson and, and is a nephew of Marty, and he lets us go there, and we get to take kids and ha- have a camp at no cost to our kids. 
you know, um, it, it's all about just providing these opportunities and these structures. But we need money to pay for the bus, to buy buy the hoodies and all of those things. And um, it, it's been life-changing to be out there. And um, I'm really humbled by your your generosity to get this opportunity. One last thing. Um, I, I, I thank you for your heart for kids. It's obviously being worn on your sleeve. For anybody that's just tuning in, Sheridan High School is, you know, this town in between um, the metro area and the coast. It's where the federal prison sits, and um, blink and you'll miss it. And if you want to help listeners understand, like, the community where these kids are growing up. Yeah, I'm I'm new to the community, but... um, we, we have a lot of longtime residents that have done so much for our community, but, you know, the, the demographics are, are, you know, on the state report card, we've got a high mobility r- rate. I mean, Sheridan has a lot of attrition with, with people coming in and out. Like that was one of the things that, you know, here, here I am with all this experience. Oh, he's not going to last very long. And, and I, I'm here to stay and build something so these kids have continuity in their life. They, they um, are able to participate. And whatever we can do to break down those barriers of providing camps for free and activities for free. And, you know, a kid can show up and he can have, you know, a pair of shorts and a pair of shoes and feel like everybody else. So he can just enjoy being a kid and playing a sport that he loves and building relationships. And um, we have a... Uh, a core of hardworking kids that have been really dedicated. We've got a, a group of parents that have really gotten behind this, but we just don't have the, the, the connections there. There's several places in the community that they give to everything and they're really um, supportive. And we, we just, we're trying to broaden our, our horizon and share our need. And um, like Brady said, like, he and his teammates, they just want to experience some success. And so our athletic director and principal, we're working hard to work with other teams around the state to kind of get matched up. You know, I used to be the head coach at Oak Ridge, and they're in the same situation as us, and we want to play them next year. So both teams have a chance to feel like, hey, we this is going to be a fun competitive game. And so – um, this is this is definitely a cause that's on my heart, and um, just trying to do all I can to give back. So, you know, twenty five dollars, fifty dollars, a hundred dollars that that goes a long way in a community like ours. And just we're we're humbled by what's been shared already, and just the chance to get on this platform. I, I laughed when John sent me a text. <laughs> yesterday and you know i I wanted the phone number and to get everything um ironed out and he's like hey i'm a little busy i'm you know got a lot of breaking news and for us to even be mentioned on the same platform of you know elite sports is uh, there's a lot of kids and people in the sheridan community that had no idea what the bft is or or um this kind of uh, platform. So we're really humbled by this this uh, 
opportunity. And so, Cousin John, uh, we we appreciate this. <laughs> Um, I want to just give a shout out to Stephen Smith, who uh, made a donation in hour one. Um, Stephen, appreciate your support. And also the Ball family, who made a donation in hour one. Uh, Jeff and Bev Heller uh, made a donation as well. Uh, They are also part of the David Heller Foundation. Uh, Coach Carter, let me ask you, do you have an AED device, a mobile device? They are are saying they have one and they want to donate it as well. Uh, they're part of the David Heller Foundation, and they're really focused on keeping kids healthy and safe in the event of a cardiac in- incident. It, do you have an AED? Yes, yes, we do. We have one in the school. We have those, those standard ones. Um, we all, we share a couple of those through our sports programs. Um, well, it looks like you're getting one. You're getting one that's going to yeah, be we yours. Would definitely that will, use yeah, that if, you know, we you know we can pass that along to the middle school. That that is so yeah. generous and. And so kind, and like I said, every little bit will help. And and uh, this is a, a you know year two process. You know, you were talking about all the scores and the, the imbalance, and the people that know football and the people that 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 realize that Brady touched on it. Like we were way more competitive this year. We were way more organized, and you know we've got we played a lot of young players. We got a core of you know, um, I think uh, seven or eight seniors coming back, you know, three really strong juniors. We've got some kids coming into the program. We've got some, we've got things set up for the summer and, but we're in need of new uniforms. And like I said, a, a hoodie and a yeah. spirit pack and things like that would go a long way um, in just creating more pride and, and, take down barriers for kids that may prevent it. Oh, I don't want to go play football. I don't have right. the equipment or I've, I've never played before. Like I said, we want to put on a youth camp in, in June. We've, um, like I said, we, we get to go to a camp that the only thing that costs is the transportation and yeah. feeding the kids when we're there and things like that. And that, you know, every, yeah. every dollar is going to go back to these kids. Thank you coach for coming on. Uh, give a shout out to Meredith Johnson who made a donation, also David Franks, who made a donation, Kim Hutchinson, who made a donation, so many more. Coach Carter, appreciate what you're doing for kids. Appreciate your heart and uh, and keep up the fight. We will uh, continue to take donations at 503-417-7575. If you'd like to help the Sheridan High School football program, if you'd like to be a benefactor, um, make a donation. Or go online to baldfacetruth.org. That's baldfaced truth.org and you can make a donation as well coach carter thank you appreciate you coming up uh ann and i are going to unpack the apology coming out of Val and eugene and the five at five coming up top of the hour appreciate everybody who is stepping up to help out that sheridan high school football program it would be nice to see them have some success on the field some pride on their campus i want to thank coach carter and uh of course uh the uh, player who came on in hour one, Brady Woford, Sheridan High School, uh, for their uh, for their uh, vulnerability in talking about their program. If you would like to make a donation, you can go to baldfacedtruth.org. .org is where you find it. Um, to, if you would like to uh, make a donation, all the donations today that come through baldfacedtruth.org will be earmarked for the Sheridan High School football program. So if you'd like to make that donation, you can do it there. Um Meanwhile, um, 
KVAL in Eugene, TV station in Eugene, had a uh, had a bad moment earlier this week as uh, 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 Brandon Kammerman, who is an anchor at KVAL, had reported that Dan Lanning was in Tuscaloosa and reported it with with great sincerity and enthusiasm to the point where, like a lot of people nationally, believed him. Uh, he walked that back in an apology yesterday on air. Yesterday we were part of those rumors reporting that Lanning was in Alabama. That information was wrong. I take full responsibility for that. It wasn't the KVAL sports team. It wasn't the rest of the news department here, which is filled with ethical, strong journalists. That one was on me. I take it seriously, and I do want to apologize to our viewers and to my colleagues. We strive to be accurate in our reporting, and when we make an error, as I did yesterday, we own up to it. Dan Lanning in Eugene has absolutely no egg on his face tonight. I wear the egg, and this is turning into a golden age for Oregon football. Duck fans have a lot to be excited about. All right, look, I love that he's owning up to it. That's good. Also, though, I want him to learn from it and and know that here's the thing. If you're going to report something of that magnitude, you got to know where he is. Anna, you were around me on on Wednesday night. I had a source telling me that Dan Lanning was not in Tuscaloosa, but I was looking for a second source all night. I never reported anything. Why? Because I don't want to be wrong. I think there's a lot of journalists across the country that are really frustrated um, at this guy right now because he made their 24 hours really hard yeah. and stressful, and it was unnecessary. Look, we're all human. Like, we've all, you know, as journalists, we've made mistakes. I think it's super important um, to be accurate, especially right now, when trust in the fourth estate is so low. It makes it that much more important that you are precise and accurate with what you are reporting. And I think what aggravates a situation like this is, like, in this day and age, a little relatively small station in Eugene, KVAL, goes on air and reports this, and maybe 10 or 12 years ago, it doesn't light the nation on fire as it does now with right. Twitter. It gets retweeted. I mean, the magnitude with which right. this all goes out and it's just a firestorm is different than it was like 10 or 15 years ago. And that's just because of the technology and how quickly the news is traveling. So yeah. it just makes it that much more important. I, I look, I'm, I, you know, I'm not going to hear – we all make mistakes, but – don't make this one again if you're if you're Brandon, right? Like you got to not just own it, you got to learn from it. And being in market like Eugene Kavel, like you you're going to get younger reporters who are learning there. And I've seen like some of the reporters yeah. who come through the press box, they got baby face. I don't even know if they're shaven, but but they're learning. And yeah. so the point here Brandon and and his staff members, you just got to learn from this and grow. Yeah. More than anything, I think. And also, if you don't know something, don't report it. You have to know it to be true. You have to know it to be true. I don't like it cold. I don't. I don't like the cold weather. I uh, was talking about this earlier with a friend today. I lived in the snow in the Midwest when I was covering the Big Ten. Um, it's not my favorite thing to live in the snow, be around the cold. And, of course, we're in a bit of a uh, cold snap. Today, uh, temperature now under 32 degrees, 30 degrees uh, just outside the studio here where I'm broadcasting from in the suburbs of uh, Portland. The overnight low tonight 
is going to get into the teens. Now, the last time this happened, and we're going to see lows in the teens. By the way, Saturday, 17 the low, 19 on Sunday, 19 on Monday, 17 on Tuesday. Last time this happened, we had a big freeze-mageddon, or whatever they called it, and power outages. And we had two goldfish that froze to death in our children's goldfish tanks. I tried, people. I was warming up water, putting it in the tank. I tried. They froze to death. Whoa. And so we went out after the last time there was a uh, cold snap. It's like two years ago, right? Two, three years ago. And I bought a generator. Okay. One of those big portable generators runs on both uh, propane and uh, runs on gasoline as well. It's a Westinghouse. It's a good brand. Highly rated by Consumer Reports. Anna's laughing at me. And I've been dying to use this thing. And so I'm actually a little excited that we might get some cold weather. And if the power goes out, I am going to be out there in my driveway at like 2 a.m. cranking that portable generator up. I got extension cords ready. I got some portable heaters. I've never been more prepared for cold weather than I am at this very moment right now inside my radio studio. You're actually hoping the power goes out. I'm excited about this. Steven, your power goes out and you're cold. Come on over. It's going to be toasty. I I plan on doing that. (laughs) I could go one step further because I did invest. Anna, you don't even know this. I invested in a generator that is capable of powering the entire house. Okay, that's how big this Westinghouse generator is. Okay, it's been sitting quietly in one corner of the garage. Nobody knows what it does. Nobody knows. Nobody's asked a question about it. Nothing. But uh, I need to call an electrician because what I didn't do is I didn't get the uh, the the plug in for the generator to plug it into the house, which, mm-hmm. which would be a very simple thing. You just fire up the generator, plug it into the house. Presto, it's powering everything. I didn't get that, so we're gonna have to run some extension cords off it. Put the refrigerators on it, put some heaters, put some lights on it, put the Wi-Fi on it. Put the I, I, We're going to be watching Netflix. I have got. I am ready for cold weather. Bring it, Mother Nature. The best part is it's like uh, 8 o'clock last night, and suddenly it really dawns on us <laughs> that this is happening, that this, you know, extreme weather Here it is. is happening. Oh, she's coming. And you... Go into this survivalist mode. Like, basically, after that last big freeze where we lost power for several days, you went, never again. And so... That was cold. You're watching YouTube video after YouTube video last night. Yeah. How-tos of how to operate this generator so that you don't blow yourself and us up in the house. Because I couldn't... I, I bought the generator. Yeah. And I'm not even going to tell you what it cost. But I bought the generator, and then I couldn't remember how to operate it. And do I need any kind of special expertise? And do I, you know? And so I looked up, like, what generator do I have? And then I looked it up on YouTube, and I'm like, oh, I got a pretty highly rated one. I made a good purchase two years ago that is sat quietly in the garage waiting for this very moment. (laughs) The videos are great because it's basically some grisly guy demonstrating the generator plugging every 
possible device yeah. that he can to test the capacity of the generator. He's plugging in a table saw, <laughs> a power screwdriver. Like, because he might have to freezer. have a table saw. He <laughs> ran his dryer. Like He ran all these appliances simultaneously yeah. to demonstrate the power of this generator. Meanwhile, your confidence in this contraption is just growing and yeah. growing. Right after the show, I'm going to do a dry run. Okay, I'm gonna be out there. I'm gonna do a dry run of what that what would happen. It's gonna be like Dwight Schrute in the office when they did the fire, you know, fire drill. So we're gonna get the kids. We're gonna get them tucked into their beds, you know, six o'clock, and we're gonna be saying, "Okay, power's out. What do we do?" And you know, and then we're gonna go for it. So everyone's going to be cold with no power. You're going to be out there doing construction work is what you're saying? (laughs) He could. That's the thing is he could. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I I could do the radio show on that generator Uh because I could fire up all the equipment, the Wi-Fi, the Internet. You know, I'm not going to be without nothing. It's so, Stephen. He's so excited about this. I uh, I I don't wish that the electricity goes out, but I kind of want to see it in action. I'm gonna, and here's the thing. I'll just, I'll video it and yeah. put it on YouTube, and that way. <laughs> that's what, that's what I need. I need that. Yeah. I need the dry, I need the dry run recorded too. Anna, yeah. that's on you. Put the hard hat on. I'm not that, sure I can bear to watch. It. That'll be Anna's job taking care of that. Anna's got a great five at five, so she says. She uh, says it includes some shoplifting. What are we talking about? Well, stick around and find out. We have the five at five. The five. Five. Number one. We'll get to the shoplifting in just a moment, but I got to start with this ESPN thing. It's so crazy to me. It's issued an apology to the National Academy of Television, Arts, and Sciences, uh, you know, for the network submitting fake names for Emmy Awards and uh, returning 37 yeah. trophies that were given to on-air talent, this thing going back to 1997? Yeah. They've been doing this since 1997? Yeah, yesterday we thought it was a isolated, you know, <laughs> run here. We talked about it, but there's a new development on this. What is the new development here? Uh, th- just that they're apologizing. They're saying oh, some, they're... some members of our team were <laughs> clearly wrong. In submitting certain names that may go back to 97 in Emmy categories where they were not eligible for recognition or statuettes. So you've you've won Emmys. You have two of these trophies inside the house. Yes. Tell us, like, and they're really cool. They're like, they're, they, you know, it's like an Oscar. Yeah, okay. But give us, like, give us an idea of that process when you are entering the contest, whose name goes on the award, how complicated does that get? It does get complicated because they're very strict about who can get awards for certain things. And so, for example, if a show that you participated on wins an award as talent, you technically aren't in line to receive a statue because it's really the show and the producers of the show or the news director on that show um, who win the award because as on-air talent, you have the opportunity to go win an Emmy in a whole separate category. So Natus really frowns on the idea of people double dipping. So the concept that ESPN was just throwing in fake names and then handing the statuettes to on-air people, and re-engraving, re-engraving them. Yeah. them. The thing that I don't buy is that all these on-air people who are saying, well, I didn't even know, I don't buy it. You think they knew? Uh, they I would get, 100% they know. think m- at least some of them 
Kirk Herbstreit, Chris Fowler, them, they're broadcasters. No. They know when they're eligible or not eligible for Correct. an award. Correct. And here's my thing. I have a theory on how, how it got outed. You know, either, you know, there was, in one of the stories it referenced that there was a photograph of one of the Emmy winners with the trophy. Somebody noticed it. Yeah. Or some ESPN producers, associate producers who are entitled to those trophies are looking over at Fowler and looking over at Herb Street and Lee Corso and going, hey, you guys aren't even supposed to have those. Yeah. Those are belo- those belong to the grunts who are working behind the scenes and never get any of the credit. Yeah, totally. Well, they apologized. They said so. Number two. <laughs> All right. Here's the uh, shoplifting story. Washington Wizards guard Ryan Rollins has been accused from stealing of stealing from Target on several occasions, <laughs> and now the point guard has been cut from the team. He's 21 years old. He's charged with seven counts of larceny for items worth less than a thousand dollars. Those are misdemeanors, but like these alleged offenses happened twice in September, four times in October, once in November. Uh, he was accused of shoplifting things like groceries, body wash, and candles. He got every man Jack body wash from Target. That should be a commercial. That, you know, so bad. And here's the thing. He had a $1.7 million contract, and he's risking it over some shoplifting. It suggests there, there may be a Winona Ryder situation here, because in each incident, the items were valued at less than $1,000. Seven different occasions between September and November, I have to think that there is uh, some potential mental illness involved in this because it doesn't make any sense. Larceny? Shoplifting? What else did he steal? Body wash? Groceries? He's making $1.7 million. It's not like he needed to steal it. Like, the whole psychology of shoplifting is very fascinating to me. For people who don't actually need it, like it's not a poverty kind of situation... It's uh, it's curious. Yeah, it's a curious one. There, there's been stories about done about that. Well, I hope he gets some help. He's already got body wash. Number three. Uh, Dolphins Chiefs ticket prices. Uh, you can go to that game for a bargain now, if you can withstand the game, which will be minus eight degrees. Uh, minus eight degrees. Wind chill factor. Roughly minus 35. No thanks. <laughs> and I, wind gusts up to 40 miles an I hour. I go to that game on one condition. <laughs> they let me bring my Westinghouse generator, wheel it into the stadium. It does have wheels and a handle. And I wheel it in, and I set it up, and I put heaters all around me, 360 degrees. And I crank it up. I'll be sitting there in a pair of shorts, flip-flops, and no shirt watching that game. Do you need a separate ticket for that? <laughs> That's the only way I'm going to that the game. The generator has its own ticket. To be clear, the game is going to be played in uh, Kansas City, not Miami, in case yeah. there was any confusion there. It's at Arrowhead Stadium on well, Saturday. Uh, it, it, and, and by the way, like it, it reminds me of the Ice Bowl, right? The, mm. And there are going to be comparisons drawn between the Ice Bowl. But remember, um, you know, NFL Films did a little thing on the Ice Bowl. I love this. The Cowboys faced the extreme polar conditions with a mixture of fear and loathing. No one was prepared for this kind of weather. Even some of the Packers had trouble starting their cars and getting to the game. I love that detail. (laughs) The Packers had trouble starting their cars. 
Well, you can get to this game for as low as $47. Or you can stay home and be toasty. <laughs> Number four. Uh, speaking of cold weather, the Buffalo Bills are offering fans $20 an hour to shovel snow ahead of their playoff game versus the Steelers. So they'll be uh, at Orchard Park, New York. 7 to 11 <laughs> inches of new snow is forecast just for Saturday night. So they're asking fans if they want to come and shovel snow. They'll feed them during breaks. They'll give them 20 bucks an hour. They have to be at least 18 years old and wear weather-appropriate gear. American Heart Association sending out a warning also saying that snow shoveling may carry increased risk of cardiac event. Have you ever shoveled snow, Stephen? I cannot say that I have. No, since being in the uh, yeah. Northwest guy, there's never snows that badly. <laughs> Your answer to everything is I no. can't say that I have. Have you ever been to Korean barbecue? You know, I have like... actually, yeah. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. what? But uh, when you're shoveling snow, you don't expect it. It's sneaky that way. It's a sneaky workout. It's hard. And it it uh I, I do think it's interesting that the Bills who are known for the snowplow incident mm. where they, you know, the guy grabbed the snowplow and helped him do the field. Like, this is a franchise who is now going to uh, instill help and $20 an hour help. But if you're a diehard fan, like, you know, people will say about their favorite team, they'll call them we and stuff like yeah. that. Like, you're actually a part of the game at that point. Like, you're oh. part of the team. Right? I would totally go. Like, if you were a Buffalo Bills fan, you yeah. would. That would be like a family memory, a core memory that you would create. We shoveled the snow, and then yes. the Bills won. No, and then we won the game, John. We yeah, right. won. Right. The two, Packers actually yeah. have done this multiple times over the years. Study by the American Heart Association said that two minutes of snow shoveling, uh, the participants' heart rates exceeded eighty-five percent of max heart rate. And that is why I have never shoveled snow. There you go. There's your PSA for the afternoon. Chance of heart attack after a snowfall increases among men, but not women. Study found uh, seven to eight inches of snow was associated with 16% higher odds of men going to the hospital with a heart attack. Oh, wow. Be careful out there. Snow falls, people. It's dangerous. <laughs> Number five. Finally. What do you got? Let's finish with uh, Carmelo Anthony. He's a little grumpy. He's calling out the Nuggets for giving his number, number 15 jersey, to Nikola Jokic. He says it's a petty maneuver, um, and he's just recognizing that someday when, uh, you know, the number is held up in the rafters of the Nuggets, it's not going to have his name on it. So uh, he's annoyed by that. Do you he, think he has a right to be annoyed by that? Um, no. I I don't, and I you know I hadn't thought about it. But when you think about it, there are some teams that have multiple numbers retired twice. The yeah. Trailblazers are among those teams. Bobby Gross, number thirty, retired. Terry Porter, number thirty, retired. Like you know, the Blazers have both of those jerseys up in the rafters and hanging, and and it's weird to see. You know, a franchise like that with the uh, same number. So maybe Carmelo needs to know, hey, in Portland, did you never look mm. up? Did you never look at the rafters in Portland to see Terry Porter and Bobby Gross both retired? Oh, that's true. He was here, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He also Come didn't on, want Mello. to play in Denver. He also asked to be traded. So why do you want your jersey retired there? 
I think it's yeah. just the concept of it. Feelings are hurt. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. And I've noticed this about athletes as their careers wane, especially stars. Yeah. They're thin skins? No. They're, they're skin thin. I'm going to say something, okay. and, 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 I, and I apologize to you if you're a, like a Hall of Fame level athlete listening to the show and your feelings are hurt by it. But I have noticed, okay, so we, like, we've been on air for like 17, 18 years, okay? Yeah. So we've had some experience in booking guests. Uh-huh. And I, it's, I'm going to say this. It's easier to get a player of the caliber of Carmelo Anthony at this point of his career than in the prime of his career. Easier to get him as a guest. Sure. Because at this point of his career, he's really worried about people forgetting him. He's watching the league go on without him. He's going, I'm not really part of that anymore in the way that I once was. And he's clinging to it. And I have noticed, like, when we go to call, like, former Super Bowl athletes and World Series champions and NBA stars, and we go to bring them on the air, they're almost excited that you remember them and and are booking them. And we used to do it during Super Bowl week. We would go out and we would get, like, Hall of, Pro Football Hall of Famers. And people would be like, oh, you had these great guests on all week. And I'd be like, they're dying to come on because they're just thankful that you remember them. Mm-hmm. Carmelo's dealing with the loss of his identity. And I think he's just hoping people remember that he played in Denver. Hmm. Makes sense. That's the five at five. Coming up, Stephen and I are going to debate the Blazers. Is there reason to be hope? Hopeful? Plus, I'm really excited to get that uh, generator fired up. TikTok. I will uh, try to put it on TikTok. And we'll talk about Kalen DeBoer. That's not what I meant. <laughs> we'll try to put it on. <laughs> we'll talk about Kalen DeBoer. What comes next? And did Dan Lanning play the best poker game that any coach has ever played when it came to a job he wasn't offered? He got some mileage out of nothing yesterday. Is it brilliant or do you feel a little duped? We'll talk about it. Leave it here. Looks like John, uh, not quite back yet. Not sure where he is, but uh, we will uh, get this sorted out. Do, do you have me back? We got you now. There you are. I was, I was trying to uh, jimmy rig the equipment in here, and accidentally pulled the plug. So there you go. That's what happened. You needed the generator going. Break. That's what you needed. Apologies for that. Apologies for that. Stephen Vaughn, let's talk about your Blazers. Reason to be hopeful or not? Uh, no, not right now. Uh, it's, it's very not good for the Portland Trail Blazers. Um, all you need to know is last night, John, during the game, uh, during the fourth quarter, Blazers were down 123-65. to 65. Instead of just watching the game, the Blazers did a split screen of uh, Jamie Hudson and Antonio Harvey doing a weather report for what the Blazers or what the Portland weather is going to be. So that's about how it's been going for the Trailblazers. It's just not great right now. I think there's a lot of questions about whether it's Chauncey Billups, whether it's the roster, whether it's all of it. Um, I tend to believe it's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of uh, roster construction and just the players aren't very good. You're starting to cut, you know, a G League guy at center, You're starting a rookie who isn't very good on offense, another rookie who turns the ball over a lot, can't shoot. So Chauncey Billups also not a great coach as well. So I think yeah. it's just a combination of everything. And it's unfortunate because at the start of the season, John, there was some hope with some of the players, the way they were playing, how they were playing some defense. That's kind of all gone away the last week and a half. So right now I'm not very hopeful for the Portland Trailblazers. Um, you know, Still, I'm almost not even halfway through the season, but, 
man, if it continues going this way, I can't, uh, I can't even be, I can't even spin it positively at all from this right, right now. But isn't it like, isn't one of the things in sports that we all kind of look toward is that there's a cycle to sports in in the NFL. There's a cycle in Major League Baseball. There's a cycle in. As a Niner fan, I watched my team in the NFL go through some tough times. Like you know, there was that that Chip Kelly lull where the Niners suddenly weren't playing great football and weren't, you know, and but they got high draft picks and they end up coming back and rebuilding the roster with, uh, you know, with uh, Bosa and end up de- getting Debo Samuel and George Kittle and they eventually draft Brock Purdy and here comes, uh, and they get Jimmy Garoppolo and suddenly there was a construction of the team that got people excited. And, and people get, could get behind. Fans could get behind it because they understood that it meant that here came here came the uh, organization and they're going to rebuild. And you kind of get to track it and follow it as a fan, and it's fun. How come in the NBA the rebuild sucks? It's literally one of the worst things ever to watch your team have to go through a rebuild. Why is the NBA constructed in a way? And I wish I could have Adam Silver on and talk about this. We've had him on before. Like I think there's a problem with the uh, with the NBA that isn't really about small markets and big markets it's just about sort of the there's a hope factor when you are with a team that doesn't have success and has to go through a rebuild and if you don't have free agency available to you you are host and the blazers are in that position where they've got to hope that the golden state warriors finish like with the 5th 6th 7th worst pick and the Blazers get that pick because it's not protected because they'll own it if it's not a top four pick and and then all, then they'll have their own pick and that's the way out that the Blazers have conversely in the NFL we see bad teams all the time the Chicago Bears drafted at the top of the draft their biggest issue is Caleb Williams doesn't want to go to Chicago and is apparently saying that he will not declare for the draft until the Bears tell him they're not going to pick him but it doesn't really matter because the Bears know, like the Bears can know they can move back, they can trade the pick, they can get back if they make the right moves. In the NFL, in Major League Baseball, in every other sport, you can change your fate. In the NBA, you're kind of stuck in purgatory or you're stuck in hell if you're not a contender. 100%. I think it's a, I think with the Blazers, it's also tough. You don't think it's a small market. I think the small market thing has to play with a lot with it because if the Blazers were a big market, they can re- attract free agents. They can't attract free agents. So the only way that they can rebuild is through the draft. That's the only way that they can do it if they want to become a true contender is by drafting the correct players. And sometimes that just doesn't happen. So I also think this is with the NBA compared to the NFL. In the NFL, with the, with the draft, we've seen guys, you know, Tom Brady, the GOAT. He's a sixth-round pick. You can't find those guys in the NBA. Those guys are always going number one, number two, number three. The only really game-changing players are usually in the top five, and that's about it. The rest are role players in the NBA. It's very rare that you find a Nikola Jokic in the second round. It happens, but it's maybe once every three or four years that you find an all-star player that's picked outside the top 20. So I think you know for the Trailblazers, it's tough, and for any team, it's tough to really rebuild your roster because one guy, if you make a good pick in the second round— he's going to be a role player. Like, that's a really good pick. Blazers got Tumani Kamara in a trade this year from the Suns. He was a second-round pick. Like, he's really good because he can actually play in the NBA, but he's never going to be anything special. He's only going to be a defensive role player. But it works out perfect because that's how it is for a second-round pick, where in the NFL, 
you can get really good all-star caliber, all-pro caliber players in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth rounds. And I think that's the big reason why it's so hard to rebuild in the NBA is you can't get that roster turnover with really good players in one draft. It takes year after year after year. And so right now with the Trailblazers, they're at rock bottom with what they have uh, on their roster. They got rid of all their players that they had the last couple seasons because it wasn't working. It wasn't working to win a championship. They could have kept them and they could have been competing for a play-in spot, but they, they decided to go the other way, which I think was the correct way. Because for me, it's all about trying to win a championship and they weren't close, but they could have kept, they could have kept Nurk. They could have kept Damian Lillard. They could have kept all these guys, CJ McCollum a couple years ago, and they could have competed for the play-in spot. That, that's one way you could have gone, but I'm actually happy that the Blazers decided to go the other way, and it's going to be tough for a couple of years, but hopefully they get the right guys in the draft, and then they can become you know a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder, where it took three or four years, and now they're at the top of the Western Conference. The owners in the NBA, they need a salary cap, and they need a hard salary cap. They're, the NFL gets it, and the hard salary cap in the NFL allows small market teams to be able to sign free agents because they have money available, and if the free agents want the money, they have to go play in Kansas City, they have to go play in Nashville. They have to, you know, they have to go to Jacksonville. They they can't just play for the New York Jets and the and the Giants. And they can't, you know, they can't just go be a Rams. Uh, you know, the Rams have more money. No, it's everybody has the same amount of money, and it creates a free agent market that allows small market teams to rebuild and. You know, and it and it forces it. You know, you, you look at the Seahawks and the downfall of the, uh, downfall of the Seahawks after the Super Bowl. Like the beauty of the Seahawks, if you really trace back to the original Super Bowl that Pete Carroll goes to, and then the second one is you you start looking at the contract of the quarterback, and you had Russell Wilson on a very low contract, and, and I think that NFC Championship game where Richard Sherman bats the pass away, and Colin Kaepernick's on one side and Russell Wilson's on the other. I don't think either one of those quarterbacks was making a million dollars. I think it was something like six hundred and eight hundred thousand dollars was their salary, and that allowed the Seahawks and the Niners to build these great, rich, deep teams that had great defenses and you know offensive lines and all that stuff. They were good teams, but because of the hard salary cap, over time Russell Wilson needs to make money, and when he starts making money it hurts the rest of the roster and you have to make changes and suddenly you start painting yourself into a corner further and further and further and it's why the best franchises in the NBA, in the NFL were always the franchises that were a little cold the niners were a little cold when Eddie DiBartolo owned them you know there was no room for Ronnie Lott and Roger Craig one year they they said sorry we don't have room for you you can go play for the raiders across the bay there was no room for Joe Montana they would they would have to make tough decisions the Patriots did the same damn thing. There were players that helped Bill Belichick win Super Bowls, and then the following year he told him, sorry, we don't have room for you. And, and, and that's how you stay fresh in the NFL. In the NBA, the problem is there's no salary cap, and the free agents can all go, we all want to play in one city, and a rich owner can say, I'll pay the luxury tax because over time it'll pay for itself, and we're all fifthly rich anyway. And so then you get a team like Portland, that cannot add and doesn't have a chance and can't even retain Damian Lillard because you can't sell Damian Lillard on the idea that, hey, if you stay in Portland, uh, we're going to contend because you'd be lying to him because you're playing for a play-in spot, as you mentioned. And so I, I, think it's, I think it's a real problem for Adam Silver's league. It has been a problem. It has been something they have not addressed. 
It gets disguised as a small market problem. It's not really a small market problem. It, it, it infects the entire league. The Dallas Mavericks, the Blazers, the New York Knicks, the Lakers, Sacramento Kings should all have the same amount of money to spend. And raise that number to a level that the Players Association's happy with and and understand that, you know, hey, there's a minimum floor that you have to pay, play, pay, but it would give you a fighting chance if you're an NBA team. And Because right now, what we're watching here in Portland is unwatchable. Well, and you're right about the NFL. The NFL has it perfectly. And, and it, it, you talked about the Bears and their decision, what they have with the first overall pick. To me, it's easy. You go with Caleb Williams because he's on that rookie contract. Justin Fields, you're going to have to pay in a year or two. Like that's, and Is he good enough to win? I don't know, but it's going to hurt the rest of your roster. You're seeing it hurt the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes right now. Mahomes is making a lot of money. They had to make some decisions to get rid of some players, Tyreek Hill, you know, and now you look at their wide receivers, they can't even catch the football. Now, they're still good because they have Patrick Mahomes, and that defense is awesome, but, you know, are they really going to be a Super Bowl contender? I don't know. Like, the NFL has it perfect, but I, I'm i going to push back, John. Isn't it a small market thing? Because, look, I, I looked at the Los Angeles Lakers. They were bad for a couple of years. Then they go get LeBron, and then they make one or two trades, and they're the NBA champions. The Trailblazers can't do that. The, the Trailblazers will never get a guy – like LeBron and his prime to say, yeah, I'm going to come here and then I'm going to bring all my guys here. So I do think it is a small market problem. But if you just tell LeBron, hey, there's, if you want to make the money, you have to go to a team that has the cap room. That's what the NFL does. Otherwise, Patrick Mahomes is going, I don't want to be in Kansas City if I know I can be in L.A. or or somewhere else. But you look at this payroll. I mean, the Warriors payroll this season is $212 million. Okay, Clippers are at 202. Blazers, let's see, uh, 161. All right, so the Blazers are paying their players $50 million less than the Lakers. Like, you could take, you could find a number that works in the Players Association. Look, here's the, how you sell it to them. You say, look, your, your salaries are not going down, but we are changing the way that this money can be allocated. And, you know, you're going to have to, if you're a, if you're a uh, Golden State Warrior player, and you want to be making the money that you're making, you might have to go play in Sacramento. You might have to go play somewhere else. But it would save the league. Cause it, and I'm not saying it doesn't impact the small market teams more than the big market teams, because it does. But too often people go, the NBA has a problem because the small market teams can't compete. And they don't say the problem out loud. That's not the problem. That's the symptom. The problem is the salary cap. It's a soft cap. And the Warriors and the Clippers... And the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks and Boston, you know, you go down the list and we're talking about contenders or teams at least at the beginning of the season that were the contenders. They're all spending more. It's it's not rocket science. They're just spending more. Yeah, the other thing I think for the Trailblazers and small market teams is hard is if you do spend your money, it has to be on the right guy. And if it's a mess up and you give a guy a lot of money and he doesn't turn out to be a superstar player, that can really put the franchise back. I mean, Jeremy Grant, five years, $160 million. Like, if he's still on the Blazers in three or four years, it's going to be amazing because, for, you know, I'd have to imagine he's going to be gone because that contract is going to look bad and he's not going to be worth it to be a star player. If he is, if he's the guy on the Blazers, like, it's going to be like this every single season. So you can't mess up with your contracts if you're a small market team where, you know, I think if you're a larger market team, like you said, they're going to spend more, so they're willing to take more risks to bring in other guys, and then they can be, you know, Jeremy Grant's going to be the second best player in the Blazers. Well, you know, the Clippers trade for him, and he's the fifth best player on that team.
And if you are, you know, an NBA player, you don't have to make a hard decision there. You can say, well, look, look, I want to be in L.A., and they need to pay me. But in the NFL, that doesn't happen. And, in fact, NFL teams have to make really difficult decisions, shrewd decisions, in which they turn to a player who's a really good player. The Niners did it with DeForest Buckner. They turned like like he they knew his contract was up. He could go on the open market and he could get more money than they had a, a cap availability. And they had to say, I guess we'll keep Eric Armstead instead of Buckner. And they bid him farewell. And he goes to the Colts. And you know if he wants to stay with the Niners, he has to take less money. And that the NBA should strive to do that. The players' association is hard, but there's a problem. When you see your Blazers team lose a billion to not very much, and you're watching them saying they're not competitive, and not only are they not competitive, they you know they're not just not winning games; they're embarrassing themselves on the court. And part of the problem is the roster, but they also didn't show up to play. And Chauncey Billups, that's on you. All right, some thoughts about Jonathan Smith and regret next. Well, I know it was hard for Oregon State fans to watch Jonathan Smith leave town, head off to Michigan State, start a new life there. But I have to wonder if the entity that is feeling a a little bit of regret right now is Smith and not Oregon State fans. Kalen DeBoer leaving Washington to go succeed Nick Saban at Alabama comes with all kinds of questions. You know, can he win at a place where Nick Saban apparently didn't think he could win big anymore? Uh, will the stage be too big for the play, so to speak? Uh, will DeBoer be able to go into the SEC and uh, match wits and rosters with the likes of Kirby Smart at Georgia? Um, those are all questions, right? But but a question that I think that is lingering in the rearview mirror at Washington is, gosh, would the Huskies have wanted to have um, Jonathan Smith uh, to succeed Kalen DeBoer? Would would that have ended up being the perfect hire? And I have to wonder if Jonathan Smith is feeling a tinge of regret in East Lansing, Michigan. Now, full disclosure, you know, there's an old saying, any any port in the storm, right? It, it was a storm, and Oregon State was without a conference, and Jonathan Smith was probably looking around with help from his agent saying, hey, do I really want to get stuck here? And if a good job comes open in the Big Ten Conference and – we can debate whether Michigan State's a good job. It's probably about the eighth best job in that conference. But if that job like that comes open, uh, maybe you need to go out and you need to find a lifeline if you're Jonathan Smith. Um, clearly, though, Washington's a better job. And Jonathan Smith's got history with Washington. Unfortunately, now, he's only been in East Lansing for six weeks or so. And he there also is the matter of a $7 million buyout that Washington would have to pay. That said, Washington is going to receive $12 million in the buyout that Kalen DeBoer is uh, is having to pay in order to get out of his contract and leave for Alabama. Um, a lot of people in Seattle wondering if the administration there made mistakes. Uh, should they have uh, should they have raised Kalen DeBoer's buyout? Should they have gotten that deal done? Sometimes um, you're at the mercy of a coach and an agent who knows they have all the leverage in the world. We've seen that. We've seen it here uh, with Willie Taggart at Oregon and Mario Cristobal at Oregon. And uh, certainly now Dan Lanning sitting with a $20 million buyout at Oregon 
feels like a guy that is going to be sticking around a little while. But if I'm Jonathan Smith, I am rubbernecking a little bit. And I'm looking over at Washington and going, gosh, should I have been more patient? Should he have? I think he should have. And I said it at the time. I didn't think it was a great job that he left Corvallis for. And I have to think he's feeling some regret, some buyer's remorse, so to speak, because he did the one thing you can't do when you're in a storm. He didn't look or try to look at the horizon. I think we all could have envisioned Kalen DeBoer having job offers. Jim Harbaugh leaves Michigan. Would DeBoer become a candidate? Like people will say, hey, we, you couldn't have predicted Nick Saban was going to leave Alabama. But certainly Kalen DeBoer was going to get job offers. Should Jonathan Smith have waited just a little bit just to see what might happen and what could have been? For now, the Huskies will turn their attention towards possibly um, promoting Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator, or going out and maybe trying to lure in uh, Justin Wilcox from Cal or Jed Fish from Arizona or Brent Brennan at San Jose State. There are some candidates out there that are interesting that would, that would fit well at Washington. But the guy who fits best of all happens to be sitting in East Lansing, Michigan, wearing green. Jonathan Smith, I have to think you have a little buyer's remorse today. Steven, you think he's kicking himself? Um, I don't I Because that was my first thought, too. As soon as DeBoer took a job, I thought, man, Jonathan Smith would have been the perfect hire for Washington. But I, I don't know if he necessarily has buyer's remorse. Because the, I think the only goal that Smith had when he left Oregon State was to get to one of the big Power Four conferences. And I, you know, he would have been a better fit at Washington, but he still got there. He got to Michigan State right then. So I don't know. I, I, I'm with you that it would be a great fit. I'm with you that there may be some remorse, but I think he's fine. I think he's fine with his uh, with his decision. He's brought in a lot of guys, and I think he thinks he can win there at Michigan State. I, I, I think you, I think, I think you underestimate the Michigan State job a little bit. This team has been really good, and you know, I, the last couple seasons has been poor with the bad with bad leadership, but. When they had Mark D'Antonio in there, they were winning a lot of games. They were winning eight, nine, ten games a season. So I think Jonathan Smith, I think he's fine with his decision. Is he, is he ecstatic and a ten out of it? No, but I think he's, I think he's fine with it. I am looking at the the recent years of Michigan State football, and you're right. Uh, you know, under the right coach, they've had some not some success here and there. But I think by and large, in you know, if you excuse, uh, you know, 2010 to. 2015, a five-year period in which you know Mark D'Antonio had some success. You're looking back at a program prior to his arrival that was a six, seven, five, four, eight, four, seven. You know that's not a great program. And since you know the Mel Tucker era and the embarrassment of the Mel Tucker area era, um, Jonathan Smith has had some problems. Now Michigan State may be one of those programs that says, "Hey, we've got some buying power." We're going to try to beef up our NIL enterprise. But I still think Jonathan Smith is a West Coast guy, Pacific time zone guy. I think there are two jobs he really, really wants. I spent enough time around him to know. I think Washington would be one of them. I think the other one is USC. So if he does win at Michigan State, he gets a crack at USC. But I think he had a better chance to win at Washington than Michigan State. I think Washington's a little better job. But we shall see. See what they do there. If they can't get Grubb, what do you do with that position? Because now I'm going, Justin Wilcox, be interesting. Um, nice to see what he could do with some resources. Brent Brennan at San Jose State would be a little bit like the DeBoer hire. Like, it reminds me of that. It's cut from the same cloth as you're going down to the Mountain West. You're going to grab a coach who's had success there. 
and you're going to bet on the fact that he's been a winner there. He'll be a winner with resources. You know, if a guy can coach there, he can coach anywhere kind of mentality. Or do you um, do you try to buy Jonathan Smith out of that $7 million buyout and and know that it's just it's going to be a little bit painful, but try to go after him? You know, I, I think that I don't know that I would try to buy out Jonathan Smith. I don't think that I don't think it's the time right now to buy out Jonathan Smith. I don't know that he necessarily would, be, it, would really want to. I, I mean, I think I don't know. I think he's fine at Michigan State. I think you do have to go out and get a, a coach with experience. We talked about Jet Fish. I think Jet Fish would be a great candidate uh, up in Seattle. He's a really good coach. He turned around that Arizona program, and they look like they're a team on the rise. So it would be interesting to see if he wants to leave Arizona to go to Washington. Um, you know where he it's already been you know established as a really good team, but I I, I like the Wilcox thought. I think uh, you know maybe some other. I'm looking online here, Seattle Times. They put out a list. You know Lance Leipold, Kansas. Uh, that would be a really good hire. I think they need to go out and get somebody with some coaching experience rather than just give it to the offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb. Like I think he's a really good offensive coordinator, but I think it's too risky of a move to go with an unproven head coach as you're heading into the Big Ten, especially now with Will Rogers, the transfer quarterback. He's back in the portal. You don't know what you got at quarterback anymore. I would want to have an experienced coach rather than hand it over to a guy who hasn't been a head coach yet in Ryan Grubb, even though he has a high potential. All right, so keep an eye on this because the new athletic director at uh, Washington came to Washington from Tulane. Now, Tulane has had some success in football. I'm kind of wondering if uh, we may see Willie Fritz uh, get an get an interview here just because there's some familiarity. Keep an eye on that. That's how these things work. Greg Byrne, the AD at Alabama, he's got great history, understands the Pacific Northwest, came from the Pac-12 conference, was the AD at Arizona. His dad was the AD at Oregon. He worked at Oregon State. I'm not surprised that Greg Byrne hired a coach from the Pac-12. And so now I'm kind of wondering if the AD at Washington is going to go and, you know, go after Ryan Grubb, go after Jed Fish. If you can't do that, do you go and hire the Tulane head coach who's had tremendous success at, in that conference? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you can get that by your trustees and your president at this point of your AD career, especially with the perception. Like, there's a perception out there that, that the AD blew it, that he didn't get, you know, Kalen DeBoer signed, and he knew all season long he had one job. Get that contract extended. Now, DeBoer went out and hired Jimmy Sexton in the middle of the season, and I think it's really hard. Once a coach has the leverage, it's really hard. Oregon found that out. Willie Taggart had all the leverage. Mario Cristobal had all the leverage. Oregon was trying to throw money at those guys to keep them in the fold. And it's really interesting if you kind of look at how Dan Lanning ends up as the coach at Oregon. You know, Rob Mullins, the AD at Oregon, gave Mark Helfrich this insane contract extension after he went to the 2015 national title game and then had to buy him out of it and then hires Willie Taggart. It was a mistake, but chased Taggart and tried to get him to come back. He didn't take the money, left, and you're kind of glad if you're an Oregon fan that he left because he ended up being a disaster. Then comes Mario Cristobal. Rob Mullins kind of lucks into Cristobal because he's on the staff, and then he chases after Cristobal and Cristobal, who also had Jimmy Sexton as an agent, says, no, I'm going to Miami. And so you don't get him. And then the third time, you get Dan Lanning. And it looks like Rob Mullins has got his guy and was smart enough after year one to renegotiate the deal and go, okay, you had some success. You're going to give you a long-term deal, but the buyout's $20 million. 
you know, that buyout is going to give some pause to everybody else who comes looking at Dan Lanning for a while. Also, Dan Lanning doesn't appear to be wanting to go anywhere, so keep an eye on that. All right, we got a great show uh, today. If you want to give to the kids at Sheridan High School, go to baldfacetruth.org. You can make a donation there. We're back to next week with another great show.